Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the High Press Podcast. It is season three. We've returned after a couple of weeks, uh, enjoying our holidays, having a bit of downtime, having a bit of rest. Rob's looking very confused at my holiday comment, but you've just got back from Cornwall, so, <laughs> yeah. so you can pack it in straight yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How was your holiday to Cornwall, Rob? Oh, well, need I say more? Uh, yes, actually. Um, no, no, it was it was good. It was very relaxing. We went before this uh, deadly heat wave. Oh God! Um, yeah, we went just before that. But yeah, no, it was very good. Um, played a lot of football manager while I was nice. away as well. So you know, you got to get your priorities right. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. It's been a uh, it's been a few weeks since we, we've done an episode, Rob. We ended. Uh, season two very very strongly in my opinion we had a great uh, few last guests on and mm. we got to 41 episodes in season two uh. quite quite the length um, but we're back now we're back for the summer just in time for the start of the Premier League season and we're going to briefly sort of discuss what today's episode will entail but before we do uh, as I'm sure that you've seen on our socials over the summer break um, there's just a slight change to how the podcast will operate moving forward um, so as I'm sure you'll know as our loyal fan base you'll know that we released episodes on a weekly basis so the episodes hit your podcast provider every Monday morning. Um, slight change to that schedule in the fact that we're now going to be releasing episodes on a fortnightly basis. So episodes will hit you um, every two weeks. Still on the Monday, it's still Monday morning. So when you get up ready for that first commute to work on a Monday, you've still got the High Press podcast to cheer yeah. you up. But we'll just be doing episodes on a fortnightly basis now. Um, this isn't us falling out of love with a podcast or slightly you know, fading it out or whatever you might want to put it as. This is just simply us um trying to get as best sort of quality content as we can um, in order to do that we just need to get a a little bit more time to prepare our guests um to to get the right guests on of course we don't want anyone want we want good informative guests on the podcast uh, and hopefully making that slight change will allow us to do just that anything this is for you listener this is for the for the listener this is for you we've changed um yeah we've changed to every every two weeks because we want to get the best quality we can like you said and Mm. ultimately it's it's going to be better for the listener so you're very welcome brilliant uh now that we've got some general (laughs) housekeeping out the way um we'll move on to today's episode and as we do with every season of the high press podcast we like to start the season with our premier league preview now if you listen to our premier league review episode um which you can find in uh season two uh we normally chat to uh 20 guests of each uh premier league club and get their thoughts on to discuss what their thoughts are for their team for the upcoming season um this time we've done a, a slight change um, and it might just be for this occasion it might be moving forward we don't know just a bit of an experiment but I'm sure it will pay off uh, we've actually invited um, two of our previous guests onto the podcast Rob, Rob do you want to introduce our, our guests well I was going to say we, we sort of we're hosting their podcast in a sense because <laughs> the guy is from the Prize of Football podcast uh, that is called of course Kieran Maguire and Kevin Day yeah, bringing them both back, of course. So Kieran, yeah. of course, a uh, diehard Brighton fan and Kevin, yeah. uh, a Crystal Palace diehard as well. So uh, mm. we're in for a great episode. Uh, just quickly as to how the episode will run, um, it will be a similar format to what we've done previously. So we'll run down the list of 20 Premier League clubs, starting at Arsenal and working our way right the way down to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, <laughs> and then once we've got through all of those, um, we're just going to give our, our predictions 
um, have a few chats about what we think their season will look like. Um, and at the end of all that, we'll be just going through our traditional player of the season prediction, young player of the season uh, prediction, surprise of the season prediction. And um, I'm not sure if we're doing this one, mm. Bob. I might have added it in myself, but also flop of the season. I'm not sure if that's yeah, a, a worthy contender. So we can probably add that in as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, very excited. Very excited for season three. Let's go straight into this uh, Premier League preview episode. We hope you enjoy. Right then, let's get into our Premier League uh, prediction or preview for uh, the upcoming Premier League season. Um, delighted to welcome, as I mentioned in our brief intro, uh, Kieran Maguire and Kevin Day back to the High Press podcast. Uh, gents, are we both okay? Uh, yes, I've just spent three whole minutes without Kieran because we just finished recording our pod together and then got ourselves ready. Uh, I'm slightly distracted by the hotel room that Kieran's in at the moment. It looks like, mm. it's like the Baroness has thrown him out. <laughs> so it's just a Corby trouser press short of the classic sitcom hotel room. <laughs> well, I, I, I need a trouser press because having been in New York for two days, my my clothes look as if they've been dragged through a hedge, and I've got graduation in the morning. So, I, oh my lord, I don't, there's no, there's nothing to there's no iron in the room. I've, got, I've gone gone for the cheap option. <laughs> That's like the uh, the the Marx Brothers joke, isn't it? I, I wish you were in your other suit, and I wish your other suit was being pressed. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> anyway. <laughs> right, oh, let, let's make a start anyway. So um, just briefly for our listeners, I know I explained in our intro, um, but we've got Kevin with us who's going to be providing more um, of sort of the, I don't want to say basic predictions, but more of an insight, <laughs> let's say, into the into the team for, for this season. That, that could have been phrased better, but you understand my general you've done, you've done better the last time. You insulted me with your opening line last time. It's taken, it's taken you three lines to insult me. I'm, a, I'm very aware that I'm here for ill-informed humour. Don't worry. Just, got the, just the basics. Yeah, just the basics. Yeah. I'm just the baseline at Kieran. <laughs> Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> of course, I didn't mean it in that way, but take it as you will. Uh, and then, oh, of course, dear. Kieran is with us. Um, if you listen to Kieran's episode before, you'll know he is the number cruncher. Um, and Kieran's just going to provide us with a couple of facts on each team as we work our way through um, just a little bit about the finances of each club or the ownership or just a couple of interesting facts to uh, accompany the uh, the teams that we're working through. Uh, but we'll make a start, Jensen. We'll, we'll start with Arsenal. Um, of course, finished uh, fifth in the Premier League last season. So, um, Gents, first and foremost, uh, I'll ask you for your predictions for Arsenal this season, maybe starting with, with you, Kevin, and, and what your thoughts are for uh, their upcoming season. Well, I have to say that I, I, I think Gabriel Jesus... Already, with the first club we talk about, is arguably the buy of the season so far. Mm. Of the, of the, I mean, I know it's a lot of money. He's much younger than I than I thought. Uh, he seems to think that he's going to be playing as a an out and out striker, centre forward, which he wants to do. I think that's a, I think that's a great bit of business for Arsenal. I, I still think, judging by the way they played against, so we're playing them in the first game of the season, um, and we mm. we beat them comfortably about sort of three or four games from the end of last season. There's still... A, a striker is what... They, they need a striker, but they need... They need a, a couple more hard. There's, there's still something... I hate to use the word soft about them in midfield. You can... You, I think with Arsenal, you can... If you get the first goal against Arsenal, they're eminently beatable, I think. And they some of their results against teams in the bottom half of the table weren't fantastic. I, I think they're going to be good to watch next season. I... I can't, in all honesty, see them 
challenging in any any remotely for a Champions League place. I really can't. And the the problem, of course, is that, and this phrase will come up time and time again for a lot of the clubs we talk about. The expectation of the fans is is ludicrous. I mean, Arsenal and Tottenham are well known North London rivals, and they they really try and outdo each other in their level of expectation <laughs> uh, based on no no level of, of reality whatsoever. So I, I think Arsenal are going to be one of those clubs that are really going to be good to watch. Um, I, I think somehow Arteta's coaching philosophy works on the basis that if they get the first goal, they'll win a game. But there's just something physical lacking about them. And it's it's something that all the great Arsenal teams had. And it's, it's, you know, it's the nature of football fans. All these Arsenal fans who are still crying out for open, expansive football and titles and cups will still hark back. They'll still sing 1-0 to the Arsenal. They still hark back to the, the Tony Adams days, to the Vieira days when they had someone rock solid in the centre of midfield. And for me, they lack they lack that. Mm. And, and Rob, moving on to, to, to your thoughts for, for Arsenal, obviously Europe to contend with this season. Now, do you think that will have an impact on their on their season moving forward? Uh, well, I've, I've actually, I've got them down to, to finish fourth. Um, so really? I think, that the, yeah, ah. um, I think it's this project, not to, to use that phrase, you know, they keep saying project about everything, but, um, yeah, I, I think we'd, we've started to see it take off a little bit more, uh, last season. I think, I think this season and maybe next season as well. Uh, I think they're going to do very well. Um, some of the, the transfers, like you mentioned there, Jesus, uh, I think he's going to do very good. He should finish the top scorer. Um, also, uh, Vieira and Odegaard as well. Um, the Vieira, well, Pablo Vieira, sorry, they're the new signing in midfield. I think they'll be pulling the strings, but I, I do agree with what you say there, that they need that like, destroyer in the middle, like, like um, so if they can Vieira. keep Thomas Partey fit, in my opinion, I think if they yeah, can keep yeah. him fit and he can reproduce his Atletico mm. form, I think I think they'll be a good player. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I know I know you want to bring Kieran in here because we want to get above the basics, of course. Um, <laughs> your the, the one the one away game I saw Arsenal play really really well last year was was Villa, uh, yeah. and I think based on that performance, Rob, you're right to to look at them as a, a top four <clears> team. But against against us, they were really poor at Sellers Park. We could have scored more goals. They they kept going forward despite the fact that we kept hitting them on the break. We saw them lose at teams like Brentford. And I, I don't think, I think that game against you when they controlled the game for 90 minutes was a one-off from their point of view. I don't think they're capable of doing that away from home. I think they're, they're really, they, they're really good at looking really good against a team that hasn't turned up. I think they'll, they'll think they're, you know, like prime Barcelona or prime Brazil when, you know, if, like Villa, we had an off day. It was it was awful, but I think if they do come against uh, any resistance, maybe they, they they don't find it find it so easy. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. You know, they they didn't have Europe last season. Hopefully, you know they'll maybe motivated by that this season. Who knows? Uh, and, and Kieran, bringing in, bringing yourself in now, obviously Stan Kroenke, the, the the owner of Arsenal, he's he's backed them a lot in in the last few years in in the transfer market, um, not least by the the signing this summer of, of Gabriel Jesus. Um, what are your thoughts on on Arsenal for sort of uh, over the last couple of years and the progression that you've seen? But then also, again, talk to us about that financial position that Arsenal find themselves in at the moment. Well, off the pitch, Arsenal have become detached from some of what they consider to be their peer group. So their wage bill is more than £100 million a year, less than that of 
Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool. It's considerably mm. less than that of Chelsea as well. Um, and, and football's a talent industry and the best players are looking A, for wages and B, for Champions League football. And Arsenal are offering neither. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that, I think that's the challenge they have off the pitch. Um, on the pitch, they, they, they remind me a bit of my ex-Russian girlfriend who had a party <laughs> trick which a cup of tea and vodka and ice in the sense that they blow hot and cold. And um, that, that's, that's the problem that they have. Yeah, we, we, oh we went there, uh, uh, yeah, Brighton played there, and we played them off the park, but yeah. we couldn't believe how poor they were. Uh, and and mm. the good teams get results when they're not playing well, but you know, you know, Kevin said that uh, you know, you, and, and I saw that match. You know, Palace battered Arsenal, Brentford battered Arsenal, mm. Brighton battered Arsenal, um, and, and we shouldn't, given given where we are respectively in terms of a the, the cost of the squads and b the wage bills. Uh, you know, we, we sold Ben. We like Arsenal because we sold Ben White to them for fifty million quid. He, he was our third choice or third mm. best centre half, who who looks as if he's just stripped, walked off Love Island, and and they they fell for it. Kieran, is it a cliche that Arsenal are still paying for the stadium? And if if that's the case, is that a worrying uh, sign for Tottenham? Um, no, they're not really paying for the stadium because what has happened, and this is something which has happened over the course of the last 12, 12 months, is that Stan Kroenke has effectively transferred all of the, the loans to himself. So then, so the, the stadium costs have been dealt with. And it's certainly not a problem for Spurs, because I think what Spurs have done very cleverly is that they initially borrowed money, which had to be paid back in 2025. And I, and I was, I, I crunched the numbers. They, they couldn't do it. And what they've done is they've rescheduled the loans, but they're borrowing at 2.5%. Now, if you think that inflation's 9% and you're borrowing at 2%, so they're actually quids in at Spurs. The new stadium generates about an extra 70 to 90 million pounds a year in, in income from ticket sales. And that's before you factor in the NFL and, all, and the, the, the fights and, all, and the concerts. The, the interest they're paying on the borrowings is around about 25. So, you know, I've, uh, given that Burnley have been relegated and they're also owned by lunatics now, um, <laughs> I've, I've always said that historically that, that Spurs and Burnley are, are the two best-run clubs financially in the Premier League and, and Spurs are now there themselves uh, they are the most profitable club in the history of the Premier League Arsenal are second though um, and I think that is reflective of the the Kroenke ownership um, in the sense that he has been unwilling to treat Arsenal as a trophy asset and, and that makes it very difficult for them to to compete for the top four places. Mm. Well, Kieran, that was very comprehensive. Appreciate that, Kevin. Thanks for your uh, initial thoughts as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Now, gents, we're off to a fly. We'll, we'll move quickly on to uh, to Aston Villa now, and uh, obviously last season a fourteenth placed finish mm. under under Stephen Gerrard. Uh, Ollie Watkins getting eleven of their goals last season. Uh, Kevin, do you want to talk to us about Aston Villa? <laughs> I think you should probably start with Rob. I think it's it's an interesting one, Villa. I think Villa and Palace fans 
are in a similar situation, except Villa have got that little bit more, again, weight of expectation than than we have. I mean, traditionally, Villa are a, a big, big club. I mean, from the start of the Football League back in 1880, Villa have been a, a big, big club, notwithstanding the odd spell in the third division in the 70s and, and the odd spell out of the Premier League recently. And I think Villa fans expect more than a 14th player. I think the first season, 14th was, was all right. And I think... I think Steven Gerrard, it's an interesting one. It's, it's, it's strange the way people perceive new talent, new managers in this country. Most pundits dismissed Patrick Vieira. People like Chris Sutton, for example, yeah. said Patrick Vieira won't manage your team because he's got no experience in the Premier League, which is nonsense. And yet Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, everyone has said, these are, these are, great. These are great managers. These, these will do good things in the Premier League. And there's no real logic to that. I think Villa were... were great to watch for parts of last season I'm not entirely sure who they've brought in my research for this hasn't been as good as it probably should have been because uh, both Kieran and I have been very busy doing other things but I, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to ask Rob what the, what he thinks the Villa fans expectations are whether they think they should be looking for Europe whether they should be bringing more players in than they have and of course the other problem with Steven Gerrard is because the media and English football are so in love with people like him that if Villa do start doing well, then bigger teams, not that there are many bigger teams than, than Villa, will be looking at Steven Gerrard mm. to be their manager. The inevitable Gareth Southgate backlash, which has already started and I think will continue after the World Cup, will I think lead to a vacancy sooner or later and people will be looking, bizarrely, at people like Steven Gerrard and, and Frank Lampard to fill that position. That the, the better Villa do, the more likely that is to happen. So, Rob, I mean, what do you think the Villa fans' mood is? Where do you think they should be finishing. Uh, so I'm going to put myself aside from the Villa fans for the moment. Um, so from from what I've seen, <laughs> the season after we stayed up, Villa fans have wanted Europe. I yeah. think it's it's been literally from the season we just stayed up on on a point and on a technicality. Depends how you want to take that uh, ghost goal or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I think that there has been big expectations, and uh, I, me personally, um, I think probably Europe next season. Um, I don't think this season again. Uh, if I'm honest, I've, I've got them down here as uh, finishing eighth. Personally, mm-hmm. um, we we have brought in um, Bubakar Kamara, who is a, actually quite a big steal for us uh, 22 or 23 year old holding midfielder in the French team now uh, got him on a free um, it was a little bit sketchy at the time because of all of the teams to pick him up he came to Villa and there was also a competition from Atletico Madrid and he didn't go there but he came to us and I was I thought yeah brilliant but how good is he if he's so good? But, you know, Bayern Munich haven't come in. Man United apparently looking, but said no. So, but from... I know it's I just say, like, Rob, that is, a, that is a typical football fan attitude. He must be shit if he's coming to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, why on earth are we getting him? He's coming. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
Don um, from the attention away from, from him, him just a second. Obviously, uh, a couple of other additions in, in Diego Carlos and, and of course, mm. Philippe Coutinho. Uh, I've, I've seen some interesting remarks about Diego Carlos and whether whether he'll succeed at this level. Obviously, we know Philippe Coutinho has, has you know has lit up the, the division on, on many occasions. In, in terms of those pieces of of business, Rob, are you happy with those? Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're happy very very yeah. happy with Coutinho. What are you expecting yeah. from, from Diego Carlos? Uh, so yeah, I was going to say about him and Kamara. I mean, I've only watched two, well, three of the preseason games, and they've both played forty-five minutes of time. They've looked very good, very good so far. Uh, both very solid. I think Kamara was the missing piece that we've needed for three or four seasons. Is that hole in the midfield where we've had we've tried to put Douglas Louise in there? He's not particularly well. He, he's better in a more advanced role John McGinn doesn't fit that role we've had Marvellous Nakamba who was looked pretty off it Gerard came in fantastic then he got injured then he hasn't really picked up that uh, form so I think yeah I think we're we're solving the puzzle maybe one signing at a time and we've got another first team centre-back who's just won the um, well won the Europa League a few seasons back with Seville um, with with Carlos, he will be pushing for a place, even possibly starting. I think that's that's always good for for competition, and you know, even like bringing Robin Olsen in as well. Um, I think that's good to to push for those places. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's been progression. Well, I'd say progression. It's been pro- progression ever since we got promoted. Then we then fell back down to fourteenth from eleventh. I think we we finished season before that. Um, I think it's going to be another improved season, but just outside Europe. And I'm, I'm not saying Villa aren't so good to go for Europe, but if you look at who are the teams that will finish above Villa, I think that's that's what you look at. And I think there are at least eight to ten teams better than Villa right now. Um, and and but I don't want to keep after everyone said, oh, but who knows? But yeah, it's. For, for the players we've got, we should have finished higher last season. And for the players we brought in again, we should be finishing in a good position. But I don't know. Kieran, bringing you in just 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 from the from Villarreal's perspective, and me sort of looking from from the outside in as as, as the majority of us in this call lot. Um, <laughs> obviously, the owners have invested very heavily in Aston Villa since the the purchase of the club a, a few years ago. They've spent a lot of money and. I think the thing is for me in Aston Villa is you do see a progression in terms of the playing staff getting consistently improved each year. My question is, obviously, they're very, very wealthy owners. At what point do Villa fans start to get excited about, you know, European places and pushing for those spaces with the kind of business that they're doing at the moment? Um, I think the biggest challenge for a club like Villa, who have wealthy owners, is uh, is financial fair play, profitability and sustainability, because that does act as an anchor. There, There is a glass ceiling uh, in, in terms of the big six, because being in the Champions League is worth... Uh, it's worth a minimum of £30 million. Now, Villa, in a good season will make 12 million from ticket sales. So just getting three matches in the Champions League, you've got two and a half times as much money coming in mm. um, from those clubs which are existing in Europe. And, and the trouble is, once you know, we, we know we know who the top six are going to be. 
Yeah, he, yeah everybody says that Manchester United had a shit season uh, last season. Well, all four of us in this room, if we'd finished six and were playing in the, in the Europa League mm. next season, we, we'd be doing cartwheels around the room. <laughs> and let, you, you listen to United fans and they're, they're, they're whining nonstop. Uh, so, so how do you break through that particular barrier is going to be very challenging. And you know, it, when I'm looking at the numbers, I think of Villa as a big club, but Leicester, Wolves, Everton, Newcastle, Brighton, Southampton, all of those clubs generate more money from ticket sales from matchday income than Villa. So oh. where, where do Villa go? Because if, if you take a look at Aston Villa, and this is one of the things I like about the club, it's a working-class football club. And that's great, but the trouble about having a working-class football club is that you've not got a bunch of prawn sandwich munchers who will pay over the odds for hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whether we like these people or not, they are very lucrative um, to uh, clubs. Yeah. M- Manchester United and Spurs will generate 10 times as much money as Villa from ticket sales. Yeah. And it's not it's not ten times as big a stadium. No. Mm. So so these are some of the problems that, that a club like Villa has because as as a result of financial fair play, what what uh, Edens and Sawiris cannot do is what we saw with Abramovich when he bought Chelsea and Mansour when he bought City, which is spend spend spend, throw money against the wall. Some of it sticks. And some of it's Joe, yeah, mm. and, uh, and 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 that's that's the risk that you you can't take, and, and that's why I think you're you're fishing in a slightly different pond, um, and it's, it, it makes Sorry, it difficult. I, I mean, you know, because I, I know you were interested in getting uh, Bissouma from us, and, and I, I, yeah, I'm going to be slightly biased. He is an absolutely brilliant football player. Why mm. did he not go to? Why did he not go to Villa? Because he wanted to play Champions League football. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say to to that point as well. I was saying about uh, Villa being working class and um, about the, the profits that can be made. I mean, even in the last few weeks, Villa have increased their season ticket prices, and there's been, as the naturally would be, there's been huge uproar from that because people who had been spending five hundred pounds are now spending seven and eight hundred pounds for for a season ticket and there's there there will be people that do that but there'll also be people that are saying no i'm not i can't do that this time um so yeah it's it's trying to match the ambition and the profile of the club and where it wants to be matching that with actually then how is that executed you know we might have to put the 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 prices up if you want european football you know but yeah it's a it's a tough it's a tough Rob, one to balance. Uh, in terms of those season tickets, Rob, does, does Villa offer uh, an instalment plan? Can you pay that? Can you pay it? Because that was one uh, of the things that happened at Palace uh, season before last, the last hmm. COVID pre-COVID season, is that Palace put the season ticket prices up not by that much, but they they got a credit company in because beforehand you could pay the season ticket over three instalments through the club. Then they got this credit mm. company in and they were credit checking people and some people weren't getting the credit to pay their season ticket through installments. So mm. the club have taken that back in-house. So at least at Palace, you do have the option to pay you know, £200 across the season rather than 600 quid 
up front because like many parts of Birmingham, many parts of, of, of where Palace are based are struggling economically. So the club did at mm-hmm. least recognise that you can't just impose this pay rise, this, this ticket rise on people without giving them the chance to spread it out. Yeah, I, th- I think there was before. I'm not so sure recently, and, and particularly with the with the new owners, I'm not sure if that is an option or not. Um, but I, I, I think it might have been, you know, one instalment in the summer, one instalment in in the winter in December. Right. I think possibly that right. was that was it last time. But yeah. Right then, on to the next team. Um, we're now going to be discussing our first Premier League newcomers uh, in Bournemouth. Uh, Kevin, we'll, we'll start with you again. Thoughts on, on Bournemouth for the upcoming season? Plucky little Bournemouth. And they're, <laughs> they're uh, bankrolled by a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> now, don't steal Kieran's section. Come on, we want to talk no, about no, the basics here. Just the basics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... For me, the jury's out on all three of the promoted teams. I'd say it, part of me thinks that Forest are the most interesting of the mm. three promoted teams purely because of their their manager. I'm not sure I'm not sure about Scott Parker. I I I find it hard to see Bournemouth staying in the division to be perfectly honest. Not just because of their lack of resources. Um I, I just can't I just think it's getting harder and harder. I I can't see any situation in any season in the next 10 years where even two of the three promoted clubs stay up, let alone three. And I think, I think even, even Palace fans, even now, you start the season, you're always looking at the three teams you'll finish above. Uh, and before you start to look at where you might finish, and I'd be amazed if we didn't finish above two of the three teams that were were promoted. And that includes Bournemouth. I think, I think Bournemouth under Eddie Howe was a, a strange phenomenon. I think Scott Parker's a, a a good manager. I don't think they'll ever quite be able to replicate that kind of strange <clears throat> billionaire siege mentality that they had. I can't see really any Premier League teams being that worried about going down to the vitality or whatever it's called now. Mm. So I, I I think I don't see how, no matter how much they improve their squad, I haven't seen much. Well, no, from, from what I've seen, they've made some very uh, limited additions, should yeah, I put that, and I don't mean that in, in the special sense. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I wonder as well, because it looked at one stage like they were, them and Fulham would, would run away with that division, and then in the end, Bournemouth kind of limped over the line. It, yeah. It, uh, I'm always willing to be surprised but I don't see anything looking at Bournemouth that doesn't no. make me and not, and not with Scott Parker's record either no it's absolutely I, don't, he, I mean he looks like he should be a good manager basically mm. and he looks like he'd be a good company on a Friday night but it, it's just to me they look like they look like they're going to be a championship team in the in mm. the Premier League and I, I just yeah. wonder and Kieran will know this better than I do I just wonder whether their their model may be in seasons to come the, the Norwich model in a sense possibly even the Fulham model get promoted, take the money, get relegated, take the parachute payment and go again. up again. But I, yeah. I genuinely can't see them doing anything other than struggle this season, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and, and Rob, obviously, as we mentioned, a few limited uh, signings. I think they brought in Ryan Fredericks and West Ham on a free, as well as uh, Joe yeah. Rothwell from Blackburn, who I think did well quite well in the, in the championship last season. Where, where, where are you ranking Bournemouth this season? Do you think they'll scrape survival or is it going to be a struggle? No, no, I think they're straight back down. 
Um, I think they'll they'll be twentieth actually. Um, although I I do admire Scott Parker's dress sense, I'll give him that. <laughs> um, but uh, with uh, the only thing is Dom uh, Dominic Solanke. Uh, he's had some good form in the championship. Yeah, the Thirty goals scorers. last season. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and um, <laughs> only second in in the top scorer behind Mitrovic, who is absolutely was crazy. Uh, his his stats uh, in the end. Um, but no, I don't think they're going to have enough as a as a squad. Um, and at the moment, you know, there's still time in the window. But just to bring two in, and one of them's Ryan Fredericks. It's not 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 it's Premier amazing. League experience, um, which is important. But it's not the signing that makes you stand up and go, "They've got a chance to survive." It is, but it it was it was back up at West Ham at best. I mean, he yeah. came from Fulham, so you know, I, I don't. That's not that great. Yeah. Uh, I can see probably Salanki moving in January as well if if Bournemouth. Uh, they're absolutely woeful. I can see maybe someone like an Everton or even Newcastle picking him out and, and yeah, Bournemouth will go go straight down. I think Solanke will have a, a nothing season personally. I can't see him anywhere mm. near replicating the form that he showed last season. Uh, Kieran, bringing you in, what one thing I always uh, sort of uh, brings to my attention about about Bournemouth really is I, I went to, uh, to Bournemouth for the first time a, a couple of years ago and I... I it didn't really make sense to me that a, a, a club that was sort of top end of the championship in terms of where they are roughly as a club at the moment and, and has a stadium as, as small as that. Financially, how how does that work? Because obviously, I, I mean, Kevin, you alluded to the fact that their, their owner is a little bit of, of, of a one of a kind. Do, do you want to expand on that a little bit, Kieran, and, and sort of how Bournemouth makes that situation work? Um, yeah, uh, for... Every £100 that Bournemouth make in the Premier League, three of that comes from ticket sales. Wow. So, uh, and whereas you, yeah, for Arsenal, it's 24. Hmm. The average is 14. Um, so, I, I think the problem for Bournemouth is what is their natural fan base? If, if they move to a 30,000-seater stadium and they get relegated to the championship, how many tickets are they going to be selling on a Tuesday night against Middlesbrough? And, mm. and that might be one of the things which is making uh, the superbly named Maxim, Maxim Denim. Uh, <laughs> he might be thinking twice. Uh, he's, he's an interesting background. Um, I think, I think as you alluded that Bournemouth are sort of the, the, the falling equivalent of, of the in-between in the sense that, <laughs> They're neither one thing nor another. They're, they're perhaps too big to be a championship tied in terms of their success, and, and a bit like a bit like Norwich, you know, it, it's uh, it's a bit like those parties you go to where you throw throw your keys in the ring. You're never going home with the same with the same person each night in terms of swapping around all the time. And, and those two clubs are doing that. And, how many, yeah, Kieran, you, how many more times have I got to tell you this? We don't all go to the same sort of party <laughs> that we go to down there in, Su- in Sussex. Mm. <laughs> the rest of us wouldn't know what pampas grass outside the front door means, Kieran, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but you, you mentioned Solanke. Is, is Solanke Bournemouth's version of Pookie in that he'll yeah. get 20, mm. 25 goals in the championship and he'll get yeah. six or seven in, in the Premier League and it's not enough to keep him up mm. um, and, and and that's not necessarily a criticism of the plague because you, you don't get the chances mm. in the uh, you don't get the chances in, in the Premier League and then there's eight fewer fixtures as well of course yeah, so, so that, uh, that they are in a they are in a they, they, if, if, they, if they if they get 17th fantastic season 
and, and that's mm-hmm. going to be their target. Well, you can get total odds of uh, 1,500 to 1 if anyone fancies a, a pound on them, well. but it'll be a pound wasted. Uh, let's move on to uh, last year's Premier League newcomers that, that took us all by surprise, I think it's fair to say, in uh, in Brentford. Uh, Kevin, I uh, talked to you about Brentford, an impressive season for them last time around, 13th place finished. Uh, Ivan Tony lit up the, the division. Christian Eriksen was a much-needed lift-in from the Christmas period onwards. What are your thoughts ahead of their season? It, it, it was a very impressive season last, without a doubt. I, I don't think many of us predicted that. I think Brent, and Brentford have, have been a, a masterclass in replacing talent that they sell. They, they've got, a, you know, especially up front, they, they, they'll get rid of a player who's got them 25 goals in a season and bring in one that gets them 25 goals as well. My, my fear for Brentford, is I, I, I wish I had enough now to explain what second season syndrome was. <laughs> And how it worked because I'd make a fortune, but it, it does exist. I couldn't see Sheffield United. I couldn't see for a second struggling in that second season, and they were a disaster from the start. I, I fear for Brentford purely because of that reason. I think because the Ericsson feel-good factor has gone. I think without Ericsson, they probably would have gone down because they started the season well, but they had a pretty woeful time going into and coming out of Christmas. I, I think they're going to struggle I really do and I, I know Kieran will explain they've got quite an unusual financial model and it's worked for them so far for, for me I think they, they will they'll have a much more difficult season this time round uh, but that second season syndrome is such a I mean statistically it, it, it's there it exists but put, mm-hmm. putting your finger on why that should be the case because it's not as though Brentford play a particularly odd type of football that everyone's worked out suddenly because, you know, the, be- the better teams, you know, Sheffield United, we all knew how Sheffield United played mm. and it, it's, it, it's, you know, teams had worked it out halfway through the, 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 their first season in the Premier League so I don't know if it's to do with that. I don't know what it is. I just, I, I don't know if it's adrenaline. I, I can't see Brentford being able to afford just quality players that they need to bring. And you need three players to replace Ericsson to be perfectly mm. honest. Plus, plus, it's not just him as well. I think that whole... The whole Ericsson story was a, a wonderful one for football. And I think Brentford are one of those clubs, even I wanted them to stay up. Once Palace was safe, I was mm. perfectly happy for, for Brentford to stay up. But I, I really think they will struggle to do the same this season. I, I generally do. And I, I say that with some with some pain because there are London clubs that are much more obviously relegated other than, than Brentford. But it's just... And also, Kieran again will say their opportunities for, for exploiting finances are limited as well. The ground's tiny... It can't get any bigger. Mm. It's 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 hard to see where they're going to get the money to compete or, or to bring players in that will keep them up for a second time, I have to say. Rob, uh, a few players brought in this window. Thomas uh, Strakosha, I think he's uh, pronounced from Lazio Keeper, who I think has got quite a good reputation in, in mm. Europe. Keen Lewis Potter, who had a very good season with Hall last season. I'm, I'm excited to see how he does in the Premier League, but I'm not sure if it's a, a season too early or not for him. And of course, the um, well... Uh, targeted Aaron Hickey as well as joined in the last few mm, yeah, days yeah. as well. So, uh, their, your thoughts on their trans- transfer business and, and and your thoughts for Brentford this season? Yeah, good. I, I like the I like the transfer business. Yeah, Hickey, another uh, Villa target for a while apparently. Um, yeah, I think he, he's a good a good attacking fullback. Um, will probably suit them, I think. Uh, and Strakosha as well from from Lazio. He's going to bring a, a lot of experience and. Uh, uh, experience when European football I don't know how really that will benefit Brentford but mm. you know that's just one of the cliches people say so there you go um, yeah I think Brentford 
you see now you say second season syndrome I had them down as 14th because I, I don't see where it's going to go massively wrong for them but it's very true like you say you can't really explain why teams get this second sin, second season syndrome it's I just, think all, all the signs are there for, for Brentford to have a second season syndrome with mm. the Ericsson factor mm. as, as, as Kevin very yeah. correctly pointed out but also I think that their transfer business while has been good and looks solid it doesn't it doesn't inspire you still doesn't it and like I said teams do sush you out after a, a year or so in the Premier League and I think they're just a very likeable team for how about they've gone there you know yeah. how they've gone about their business and um, I'm moving on to Kieran now if I can to, to talk about their business a little bit obviously Brentford are, are one of these uh, renowned I'm not sure if this is a popular thing or not Kieran you'll have to tell me but in terms of obviously they, they don't have an academy as such I know they released a statement recently to say that's something that they might be starting to, to build back up again but they very much have a, a B team which is a, a quite an uncommon occurrence particularly within within this country um, and of course Kevin mentioned there about the stadium and obviously the move from from Griffin Park to a new stadium last season. Why has that stadium got limitations already after being, you know, built so so recently? Well, again, a bit like Bournemouth, you've got to say, what is Brentford's natural fan base? And it's a good season in the Premier League. Yes, they'll be getting low twenties. It's not going to go much beyond that because there's a lot of competition for for fans in in London. Um, you know, it's, and you know, Palace. I think have got. I'm not saying it because Kevin's in the room. Palace have got opportunities because they've actually got a lot of South London, which is being unoccupied. But Brentford, mm. there is there. You know, there are clubs close by. Um, I think where where Brentford perhaps have got an edge over other clubs is because Matthew Benham uh, owns Smart Odds. Uh, they they use the the data driven. They use the money ball approach, and they can spot a fifteen million pound player for whom they only pay eight million pounds, yeah. and, and that could be the difference between them staying up and not staying up. So, uh, yeah, a bit like Rob, I think fifteenth, sixteenth will be that. I, d- I don't think they will go down, but but it 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 certainly comes. And again, yeah, we we we've both been in this position ourselves, myself and Kevin, that. What exactly are we looking forward to? Once once you've been in the mm. Premier League for a few mm. seasons, it, 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 it does yeah. become a bit of a trudge. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, the other the other problem for Brentford as well, Kieran, is that Fulham just down the road have just expanded their capacity. So all those lovely tourists arriving at Heathrow just to see one Premier League game are going to go to Fulham, where they've got that neutral zone as well. Brentford simply haven't got the capacity to sell tickets to tourists. I mean, basically, Fulham, Brentford is season ticket holders. And away fans, so you know Fulham at least get that. They probably Fulham in, in previous seasons probably have three, four thousand one-off visitors per home game. I'm guessing simply because of their proximity to the to the airport, and it's the only it was the only Premier League club you could buy neutral tickets for. Brentford can't compete with and, that. And so, they charge hundred quid a ticket. And as we discussed earlier on, the first club to charge hundred quid for one for a match day ticket, which is not the Fulham way. Outrageous. Yeah. Right, we'll move on to uh, Brighton and Hove This will be a, a popular one within some sections of this uh, of this podcast. Uh, last season, a, a, a fantastic ninth place finished, I think, from from an outsider uh, looking in. And uh, we'll, we'll swap it around a little bit, and we'll, we'll start with you, Kieran, to provide oh. a little bit of analysis on <laughs> on, on your team, and then, we'll, and then we'll end with you to give a bit of financial backing for for, for Brighton as well. But talk to us about Brighton and your hopes for this season for the club. Well. 
we had a good start and a good end to the season. In the middle, we won three matches out of 25. Mm. That we'd started the season winning three matches out of twenty-five, you know, we'd have been searched, you know, people have been talking about us being a relegated team. Um, th- th- there's again a bit like Fulham, moneyball approach, spotting value. Uh, we've we've sold Bisuma, we've sold uh, who is a big loss. We sold Ben White, who is less of a loss. Uh, if Kukurea goes to City, you know, if, if they match the valuation, he's off then I, 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 I think we'll be back to our normal 15th, 16th this season. Uh, not quite sure where the goal's going to come from. Uh, yeah, last, last year was great. Um, uh, and, and I genuinely think that, that beating Manchester United 4-0 at home when it should have been 7 is, is going to be the high watermark of my life. But normal service to be resumed this season. The one interesting one for me before I move on to, to both yourself, Kevin and, and Rob, is um, the, the one I want to talk about is Leo Ostergaard. He obviously had a, a loan spell out in, uh, I think, at Stoke and then moved to uh, a club in Serie A next last season. I, I completely forgot. But he seems to be a very well-regarded centre-back. He's now obviously made a, a really big transfer to, to Napoli in terms of the club, not in terms of, of the fears, I understand. What, what, for what reason does he not get involved in, in, in Brighton? Why have they decided to sort of sell him on when he's, you know, if he's good enough to play for Napoli, why is he not playing for Brighton is, is my question, I guess. Well, Napoli offered us 10 million quid for a player who's never played for the club. Yeah, we signed him for Simple a million and a half quid from him. Um, and actually, we've we've got Van Heck, who was on loan to Blackburn last season, who was their player of the season, who I think both Ostergaard and Van Heck went out on loan to the Championship they were being monitored very carefully with the view of one of them coming into the first team squad this season. And from what I understand, Van Heck is is the real deal. So mm. I think he'll be pushing pushing the, the regular centre halves. You know, one of if you know if one of Webster or Dunk uh or Veltman gets injured, then you know Van Van Heck's got an opportunity to to seal his place in the squad and, and the team. And and Kevin, moving on to to, to you, obviously through gritted teeth. What's uh, what are your thoughts ahead of Brighton's upcoming season? Well, it's, it's funny. It's it's a source of great mystery to Palace fans why the media love Brighton so much, even allowing for the fact that half the media live down there. There's Brighton. Is there a strange? T- I mean, what's the expression? I'm not a golf fan, but I th- I think from tee to green, Brighton are, uh, are nice to watch. But you know, football is about scoring goals. I mean, they're expected the, the amount of shots they have on target compared to the amount of goals they score is ludicrous. It makes it even better when Palace have two shots on target and score twice against them. But <laughs> I, I wonder. I do wonder with Brighton. You know, if you look at Palace and Brighton together, similar sized clubs. Uh, similar fan bases, we tend to, to change managers more often than they do. I wonder whether Brighton are not in danger of doing a sort of Premier League Bournemouth that when Graham Potter does eventually go, that Brighton might struggle a little bit. The, the Potter's clearly building a, a really good, solid team there that will probably stay in the Premier League. But then I wonder what happens when he inevitably does get uh, taken on by somebody who, you know, it's, it's fooled by his ticky-tacky style of football. What will happen to Brighton then? Because it, it, it does seem to me that he, it's him that's sort of keeping them, keeping them together. But they are they're an odd team. As I mean, I hate the fact it's it's really difficult. I mean, where do you want your rivals? I mean, personally, I was in Hereford the day they played Brighton, and one of them were going out of the league, and I was 
outside the ground on my knees. So I didn't go there because of it. Brighton playing. I wanted to be there. You know, but I would have loved Brighton to be kicked out of the league. But again, what I want ideally is you want Brighton in the Championship. Essentially, I don't want to play them every year. It's too tense. But it's it's and again the other thing as well. We've Kieran and I have had this conversation: is how much Brighton are beholden to one to one owner to Tony Bloom is like so it seems to me at the moment that the success of Brighton is very much because of the owner and the manager which sounds like an odd thing to, to say but if either of those are taken away more so than you know if Steve Parrish were to leave Palace I think we would cope whereas if Tony Bloom well, was I'll, to decide I'll, you know, I want to interject there and say that I think a big loss for, for Brighton will be Dan Ashworth and, and the structure that he created behind the scenes I mean Kieran again you might be able to, yeah. to, to add a little bit more light on his departure maybe but I think that is a very very big loss for, for Brighton um, yeah it is and I know the club are extremely hacked off um, because they feel that he was committed to a five or six year project and, and he was then going to move on. But he, he, he was, he, he was given a bigger train set to play with at, <laughs> mm, at yeah. Newcastle and, and they offered him a lot of money. Um, but he, and that, and that's why the club really struck out, you know, stuck out in terms of putting him on gardening leave. Um, what I would say is that they've got an owner, chief executive, director of football and manager who all row in the same direction. Losing one's not good. I think if we lost two, uh, and you know, in Port Arbor, we've got the best chief executive in the game, in my view. He's, uh, he, he can be a pain in the ass, but he's ridiculously efficient at what at his side of the game. Um, then if, if, if Potter goes, but, uh, then, then we've got a problem. But, but where, do, where does Potter go to? Because ev- every season under Potter, we've, there's been a period in which we've won one game in 10. And there's been no pressure on him, and and mm. he he if he goes to Spurs he gets sacked. If he goes to Chelsea he gets sacked. If he goes to Everton or Newcastle he he'll get sacked. So so where is I think Potter's the right man for Brighton and Brighton's the right club for Potter. Mm. If, I think the big issue for me and I think Kevin's already alluded to this sort of indirectly is when when Southgate gets hounded out of the England job. He, Graham Potter ticks all the media boxes that they're looking for, and he ticks all the FA boxes. Um, does he go? Does he take the England job, and then he gets handed out in two or three years' time, and everybody loses? Yeah, typical middle-class arrogant Brian attitude. <laughs> the only way, the only place our manager can go to is England. <laughs> That's the only. If it's not Brighton, it's England. Us. Well, well, I just want to bring you. Go, go on, what sorry, if, go on, Kevin. What if the quinoa's not as nice at England as it is at Brighton? What's he going to do then? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm keeping here. What if there's a couscous problem? <laughs> Rob, I just want to bring you in very quickly because I'm conscious we've discussed a lot of Brighton here. Um, what are your thoughts for their season? Can you give me a, a prediction for where you think they'll finish? Uh, I need to say, I think this sounds quite harsh. I've gone for 17th. Um, oh, I think they'll, they'll stay up. But I, <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think they'll... Maybe they'll struggle, but I think, yeah, as we spoke about, Potter's decent in, in spells. Brighton come across to me as quite a temperamental and, and vulnerable team in, in a sense that if something did happen to Potter, if he left, uh, you know, if there was a change like that, possibly if there's a change with, you know, Ashworth going that they, they get a, uh, again, I don't want to sound harsh, but crumble. I think, you know, I, I think they're almost teetering all the time in, in doing quite well or relegation for, for me. Um, 
but yeah, the 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 signings they brought in in January and and the signings now, uh, they're they're bringing in more under the radar names. But you've got uh, Aniska. I think he's the most expensive player from the Paraguayan league as well. Um, so I mean that, that that's some accolade there. Um, but uh, uh, Andinger as well. Um, again, you know he's going to have to prove himself. Which Brighton, these unknown Brighton players, they often do. So I think they're, um, yeah, I think they'll they'll be all right. But yeah, they'll they'll will be that spell where they just they'll win one in say ten or one in fifteen. But um, yeah, if they keep part, it should be all right. Uh, moving on to uh, Chelsea, very, very interesting. So, Kieran, we, we featured you on the podcast when uh, the, the crisis was very much in in in, in its centre, uh, with with all the uh, incidents occurring around Roman Abramovich. Uh, Kieran, I'll I'll come to you in just a second to discuss the the, the financial implications of that and their and their new owner, Mr. Todd uh, Bowley, I think he's pronounced his name. But uh, moving on to you, Kevin, talking to us about uh, about Chelsea. For me personally, a uh, uh, strange some of the lost a lot of key players in. in Rudiger and Christensen, Lukaku, of course, leaving on loan. Of course, uh, Sterling and and Koulibaly coming in so far. But I, I think it's going to be an interesting season for Chelsea. I'm not sure if it's a make or break for Tuchel or not. Would you agree with that statement? I I, I would. I, I find myself increasingly giving less of a toss about Chelsea than I ever have <laughs> done before. I, I think, that in particular, there whoever it was at Chelsea who openly said that the Middlesbrough Cup game should be played behind closed doors because it wasn't fair on them. Yeah. Read the room <laughs> really badly, read the rest of the country really badly. I, I'm not, I'm quite surprised by the amount of players that, that they've allowed to go. I think Sterling, I think Sterling's a really good move for them. I think Sterling had achieved everything he was ever going to achieve at City. He's a, a London, I think, you know, people outside London sometimes forget that Londoners actually like London and are happier there. So I think him going home might make him a, a better player. The Lukaku situation is a is a is a strange one. I, I'm still not sure whether he's a, a better version of Benteke. I just really really overrated. I don't I I don't know. I, I'm biased. Hard. I love him. I think he's brilliant. But I, 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 I'm biased. I, I, it's it's hard not to see Chelsea challenging because it's hard not to see them. I, I I don't know. I, I, Kieran and I have discussed this, but in terms of Abramovich's worth and Burley's worth and how much Burley is willing to pay, you can't imagine them not challenging because come January, if they're fifth or sixth, you assume they will spend enough money to get them into the Champions League. And, and we've reached a situation where, as it used to be for Arsenal, Chelsea not getting in the Champions League is is a disaster for them. But it's it, it's it's been a strange summer for them, really, because I think we all thought that with the new ownership would come a long list of, of players. You know, I've, I assume that they'd be competing for players like Haaland. Um, mm. And they they simply don't really seem prepared to do so. And I'm not, I'm not sure if Chelsea fans would actually think that Sterling is a particularly good buy for them, given that the AG is. I mean, I think he is. But still slightly annoyed that Conor Gallagher is daft enough to think that he can fight his way into the Chelsea squad, <laughs> but fair play to him. He's a, he's a, he's a Chelsea fan. He said from the start at Palace that that's what he would do. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they will finish somewhere in the top four and I don't particularly care to be perfectly honest. As much as I love football, there's something about them that the, the way they behaved during, yeah, the, hearing Chelsea fans talk about themselves as victims was just mm. grotesque in the situation, to be perfectly honest. Rob, obviously, 
Thomas Tuchel has had a, an up and down time as, as Chelsea manager. He's, he's, he certainly gave him a, a playing style and, and an identity. Uh, a lot of changes this summer. But do, do you think that Chelsea may have more to fix than others in, in terms of the, the big clubs that are surrounding them? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, in in the sense of things outside the club and and also within, uh, they've looked like they've they've solved that for for now. Um, outside the club with the ownership, I think within the club as well. You, you mentioned that Tuchel does have an identity and 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 a style of playing. It's interesting to see the targets and and players they have bought. Um, to, to me, they don't really suit Tuchel's style that we've seen so far, uh, particularly they're after Rafinha and, and Sterling now they've got. Um, they never strike me as a team that want to play with wingers, so possibly is, is this hinting at a different style for from Tuchel. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got them down as, as finishing uh, fifth. Um, with, with, with like wow. Koulibaly as well, <laughs> that it, it's... Um, They've been after him for a while and it's, I don't know if it's now three or four seasons too late, possibly with it. I'm not trying to write the write the guy off, but it, it seems like Chelsea have suddenly lost all, um, I'm trying to say, all kind of their, basically when, when Chelsea used to come in for a player, they would get him and they would get who they wanted. And now it almost seems like, other clubs are actually, you know, they're pushing back and saying, no, no, we're not going to sell to you and we're not going to sell to you at that price. You know, they're, they're backwards and forwards with uh, Koundé. They've eventually got Koulibaly. Sterling is a good player, but it doesn't seem to me like he was top choice. They lost out on Rafinha. They should have been in for Haaland, didn't get him. Um, they've been, had their pants absolutely pulled down over Lukaku, signing him for a hundred million and then basically giving him back for for eight million and, and into taking around ninety million for for from that transaction. Um yeah, it's it's an odd phase for Chelsea and, and possibly um are we starting to see uh I won't say a decline. I don't think there's a, de- a decline, but a decline in aura around the club, possibly. Um and particularly they won't help with the the Abramovich sort of um situation. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, they're still Chelsea. I think around fifth, possibly, but um, you're not as not as good as the last the last few years from them. Uh, Kieran, Rob just mentioned that the Abramovich situation. Obviously, their their new owner uh, Todd uh, begins with a B. I won't even bother to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, how, is it impossible to to uh, match the legacy left by Roman Abramovich in terms of what he did for the football club? Or is he is is he going to be? Uh, you know the, the next Glazer, or you know, talk to us about him and what your awareness of if, of him is so far. Um, well, I, I think it's a bit of smoke and mirrors in respect of Todd Bowley, because actually sixty percent of Chelsea is owned by a company called Clear Lake Capital, who are very much in the background. Um, I think what Chelsea have done well is that they've now appointed a chief executive who knows about football, because Todd Bowley doesn't. I think there was uh, there, there was a danger of him being given too much responsibility early doors. Um, do I think that Chelsea will win the number of Premier Leagues and two Champions League in in the next 10, 12 years? No, I don't. Uh, but but I don't think they're particular. The owners aren't particularly bothered about that. They just want Champions League football every year. They they, they know where the money lies, mm. and, and that and that will be their objective. 
I was actually quite surprised in the nature of the transfer dealings that they have done in, in the sense that I thought they'd be going for younger players with resale value because that, that's sort of the money ball approach and recruiting a 27-year-old and 31-year-old is completely against that, which which shows just how much I know about football, which is diddly squat. <laughs> very harsh on yourself. Very, very harsh on yourself. Right, moving on to, uh, gosh, this could be a lengthier one. Crystal Palace uh, finishing 12th last season. Uh, Wilfred Zaha, again, another a good season for him with 15 goals uh, in all competitions. Kevin, we'll, we'll, we'll come to you naturally first. Patrick Vieira has probably exceeded expectations in his first uh, season as a manager within the uh, within the Premier League. Uh, do, do you see a, a, a sort of a similar season coming this time around or is it simply the case for you just trying to to, to stay your, uh, above those last three spots again? I, th- I think a bit of both because right? I'm a natural pessimist. Like I said before, I always look at the three teams we'll finish above. It's... Vieira it did exceed expectations. Everyone knows that he was our fourth choice for start off. He, he was very far from our first choice. Didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. With, with, um, uh, Nuno was our first choice. Oh dear. Uh, and was almost was about to sign, but then decided he wanted twenty five coaches brought in. And then the guy who was the Swiss Roy Hodgson was our next choice. Lampard <laughs> was was on in the mix, and then Vieira. Uh, Vieira did a remarkable job last season not just in terms of where we finished in the league but the way he changed the mm. culture of the club yeah, uh, the way we played football and he lifted the whole he lifted the whole place the way he was willing to bring kids his problem is this transfer window seems a bit mundane compared to last season this time last season we were signing Anderson, Gerhi Elise and Conor Gallagher and so far we brought in Sam Johnston is a good keeper and probably will be our first choice after January Malcolm Aboe from Derby who Derby fans tell me is a really really exciting prospect Czech Decore who I know Lakeith described him as better defensively than Kayati and better going forward than Gallagher which I'll believe when I see it so so far compared to last year it seems a little bit of a consolidation window having said that if we get Chris Richards from, from Bayern who's mm. a centre-back and a full-back. And if we then get Morgan Gibbs-White, which is the big rumour, there are rumours of one, at least one marquee signing to come. Whether that's Morgan Gibbs-White or not, I don't know. Also, we haven't had our customary loan player. We've been quite good at getting decent loan players in from bigger clubs uh, in previous seasons. So, so far, all right. It's been a strange pre-season because... We've got two. We've got a squad that stayed at home for pre-season friendlies here. Then we've got the squad that went out to Australia, which is and the Far East, which was quite depleted. With the conspiracy theory being that it's because they hadn't, they weren't vaccinated, which is not true. It's just the fact that Palace decided they couldn't turn down this very lucrative Far East tour. It's the first time we've been involved in one of those. It's brought us in a lot of money, but Vieira didn't want some of the bigger names in the squad to travel. We, we've had a brief flirtation with the customary willful be leaving story with rumours about him going to Roma. And that that won't happen. I, I, I think most Palace fans will be happy if we finish where we finished last season, but carry on playing the same way. If we see a little bit more progression and a few of the younger players being brought in, which, which Vieira showed himself willing to do, then I, I would certainly be be happy. I would... I would I would love to see a 20-goal-a-season striker in there, but so would every other club in the Premier League. And they're mm. few and far between, and we probably can't afford most of them. I, Wilf, Wilf is a different player at the moment. And if we get one more brilliant season out of him under Vieira, then 
I think we'll be we'll be laughing. Also, the other thing that people don't realize, Vieira's completely changed the backroom team as well. It is we're much more professional, much as we liked uh, uh, Roy and his you know and, and Ray Lewington and his shorts and his shouting. It was kind of old school, and mm. Vieira's Vieira's really changed that. We're fitter, we're stronger than we have been. We could still do with better results against the bigger teams, but beating Man United on the last day of the season was a huge boost for us. We'd never beaten them at home in the in the Premier League. That was massive. Albeit we didn't beat them by as many as Brighton did, and they were arguably the worst Man United team I've seen at Sellers Park for some time. But it was still a great way to end the season. So yeah, it's 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 these are exciting times to be a Palace fan. But I I would I would love to see one more creative midfield player. We still haven't got that player in midfield who can unlock unlock the last player we really we've never really had that sort of player. We we had Lombardo in the 90s, we had Kabayi, but we've never really had a player who can just pick a pass. That's so why I've always felt sorry for Benteke because he gets so few crosses put in and we haven't got a player who can pick a pass from midfield that enables him to turn centre-back in and move forward. That's that's something we lack. But otherwise, no, I, I, I think we'll be comfortable in the mid-table. If we can get in the top 10, that would be great. Another cup run, fantastic. Yeah, Rob Crystal Palace, uh, obviously, uh, you know, as, as 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 Kevin has just alluded to there. But what two players that I have a bit of a liking to, Mister Mitt, are uh, Eze, who's had a difficult time with injury lately. Yeah. I know he lit up the championship before, and Lisa, I was really impressed with him uh, last season. I don't think mm. he potentially got as many opportunities that he probably would have liked, but he's still a, a young player. Uh, are those two players that you think will be enough to to ensure that Palace have another season in the Premier League? Oh yeah, I don't think there's any danger for for relegation. If I'm honest, I've actually got them finishing seventh. I think wow. um, they've. I think they'll have this season. Right. Villa want. Um, I'm a little bit jealous in a sense. Uh, yeah, I think Johnson. That was a very. That was a very good um, signing. Very astute there, and uh, check the core as well. He's going to be one of these. Um, random sort of French midfielders that's going to come through and, and, and take everyone by a storm. So, um, I've had Palace yeah, finishing ninth, I, actually, in my prediction. I've had them yeah, ninth. Yeah. I think they'll have a good season. I think, check the yeah. uh, Vieira's been looking for himself yes. on the pitch. And yeah. Kiate isn't quite... like I, I interviewed uh, Patrick Vieira at a club function. Uh, again, he was much more open when we were having dinner beforehand than he was actually on stage. But... He had some quite interesting things to say technically about Kiata, and he clearly he's somebody who identified that again, like Arsenal don't have. We didn't really have. I mean, Luca, we sort of had it with Mile Jednak, but we haven't got that enforcer for want of a better word. We haven't got that Patrick Vieira, and I think mm. I think Decore, from what I've heard, looks like he's more of a candidate for that role than Kiata. Uh, Kiata was without a doubt, but Eze, the, the Eze's problem is that I don't. He's such a good player. But it's really hard to pinpoint where his best position is because I know that he wants to play in a sort of number ten role. Mm. But with Palace, the few games that he did play, he was he was sort of left midfield, he was left wing, he was right midfield at times. He's a he's a quality player, but he was really well managed last. And better in mind that he was a Roy Hodgson buy, so fair play to Roy. But he was very well managed last season. <clears throat> Elise is the best kid I've seen at Palace for for a long time. He's he's a quality player and again was, man, I've never seen a more stern looking teenager as well either I've never seen someone less happy scoring goals he just he scored the equaliser against Millwall 
and he just wanted yeah, to bring. Yeah. He just he just wanted to know. Let's get back and get the next goal. Like he's a <laughs> he's a really quite. And again, it's something we have to get used to. Is because in previous years, you know, seventies and eighties, we had an abundance of young players. But then in previous years, we had managers like Pulis. Pardew Allardyce who wouldn't go near the youngsters they just simply were open enough to say we're not putting kids into a relegation battle whereas Vieira's looked at the squad and goes no we've got a couple of kids who are good enough to, to play in the first team be in the first team squad and, and as you know there's nothing there's nothing fans like better than to see your own your own talent coming through but the, the, the emphasis on youth that we have now is astonishing and so different to what we've had in the past and it's one of the reasons why we've got so much more energy than we used to have. Kieran, I want to bring you in and ask you a very simple question. Uh, where does Steve Parrish rank in terms of the all-great English chairman of the game? Huh. In terms of hair, <laughs> I think he's got to be top three. <laughs> 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 no, Steve Parrish uh, does a, a fabulous job at Palace, hasn't he? I, I, I think he has. Uh He's he's put modest amounts of money into the club, but he's quite clearly a fan who who hasn't let his heart rule his head. And, and sometimes you have to be that. And I, and I know, uh, you know, I know Kevin. I know other Palace fans as well. They'll, they'll, they've got certain reservations because what what do we want from a chairman? We want somebody who's actually we, we don't we don't want a chairman. We want a sugar daddy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let, let's let's not let's not pretend. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, words like sustainability and governance, but we don't we don't give a damn about those. It's mm. it's you know how big's your checkbook, um, and and Steve Barrett, Steve Parrish doesn't have those resources. He's 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 got Palace to the the Premier League, but more importantly, he's kept them there. Uh, yeah. I think he's been he's, he's made some tough tough decisions, and it, and they've, they've worked out. Kieran, being perfectly objective about this, we know uh, that Steve Parrish turned down at least two big offers from Far East investors in the past couple of seasons because he said he didn't think they were right, they didn't fit the club, but also I suspect because they didn't want him to stay on as chairman. But most Palace fans seem to think it looks like that that Texter, John Texter is sort of positioning himself to become the major shareholder at the club by the look of things and that is not something that would bother Palace fans. But we, we saw a big share issue last week, which is unusual for us. And do you do you agree with that that it looks like Texter is sort of manoeuvring himself? So again, he's bought Botafogo. He's got another club, but it looks like Palace are the team he really wants to own. Um, I, I think in any multi-club ownership model, you have to have a mothership, and, and that's clearly if we take a look at the City Football Group, that's yeah. Manchester City. The logical thing for Palace is for that club to be uh, so for the for Texter is for that club to be Palace simply because of the not because it's Palace necessarily it's because of the Premier League yeah the, the Premier League is where the money is in in world football um, and you you can see the benefits of that and it, and it could be that that works out for all parties in the sense that Steve Parish is still seen to be the local link and the money is coming from elsewhere. Hmm. Very good. Thank you very much, gents, for uh, your information on Crystal Palace. I want to move to Everton now, who are an interesting club this uh, this season. So, obviously, scraped survival last season with a good uh, couple of victories towards the end of the season. 16th place finish. Uh, of course, losing uh, Richarlison uh, th- th- this summer. Um, Kevin, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Everton this season? Because I feel like they will have a better season 
under Lampard. I think it will hope, hope stabilise uh, what was a very um, a disgruntled ship, I can think of, is probably the correct word, with, with how difficult it is to play at Goodison Park. Um, do you think Richarlison's loss will, will hinder them and drop them further, or do you think they, they will rebuild appropriately? I I think the the former. I think Everton are a really interesting club. There's um, a a little bit of temporary beef between Palace and Everton. The way uh, Palace players were treated in those three pitch evasions in the game we played them towards the end of the season. I think a lot of people are assuming Everton will be fine because Everton have been fine in the mm. past. But logically, they struggled last season. And at the moment, their squad isn't as good as it was last season when they struggled. So I, I can't really see why we're all going, oh, no, they'll be fine, they're Everton. Because I don't think they've brought players in to improve the squad. I'm not... The, for me, the jury's still out on on Lampard. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed it was him that they went for. I can't At the moment, I can't see them doing anything other than struggle. And again, I'll defer to Kieran because it's quite clear... People are asking a lot of questions about how much Everton can spend, how much they have spent. We know that Burnley have now dropped their case against them in terms of breaking uh, FFP regulations. But it seems to me that Everton are in a strange sort of financial flux at the moment. They're building the new stadium. I, I, unless unless they've got, they pull a couple of cats out of the bag in terms of new signings, I, I can't see how they're going to replace Richarlison's goals and his energy up front. And without that, I, I don't see why they they won't struggle again next season. Rob, obviously, uh, Tarkovsky is coming from Burnley on a, on a free transfer. I think that's a a good steady body to bring into a club for, for what is a very turbulent time for Everton Football Club at the moment. Um, what are you thinking about Everton for, for, for next season? I'm just looking at their away record here for last season. 13 uh, losses yeah. uh, they had on the mm. road last season, which is obviously a, a big concern and something that we'll, we'll need to change moving forward. Well, can I just interrupt before you, uh, Rob answers that question? Yeah. The two, the two worst away performances I saw at Sellers Park last season were Everton in the league under Rafa. And I didn't think I'd ever see a worse Everton performance at Sellers Park. But then in the FA Cup under Lampard, they were worse. They were, they were shocking. I, I, based on that performance, I couldn't see Everton staying up last mm. season. And I, I, I haven't seen enough in the close season to make me think that they, they've changed that, to be honest. Yeah, Rob, hand it over to you. Yeah, uh, you know I'm, I'm going to replicate what we're saying. It's, it is going to be a huge season for them because they're. I don't think it's a case of yeah they've got that season over and now you know we go again and you know hopefully we can finish in a better spot. I, I, I still think they're in the in the shit that they were in. Yeah. Um, I've got them down. It might be a little bit irrational looking. Look at this. I've got them down as thirteenth, but yeah, like we say. Thirteen. Yeah, they've they've not particularly strengthened. They've got Tarkovsky on a free, yes, but um, that that will help. One player is not going to turn a team around, but likewise, you know, they've lost with Charleston, and he is one player, but he was a wild card, and he could pull things out the bag. He had the passion. Um, he had, wore his heart on his sleeve. Uh, he he could drag a team up the up the pitch on his own and everything and yeah if you lose him that's that's quite a big part of the the dynamic for Everton 
Um, so I think one, one thing really I want are... to say very quickly is obviously they struggled with with Calvert Lewin's injury last season, didn't they? I think that mm. was a big big factor for them because the season prior to that he was on fire. Uh, a big thing for me is That's... about how much Lampard can get out of Deli Alley. If he can get uh, him going yeah, again, yeah. that'll be a, a source of goals. But I mean, Kieran's frantically shaking his head here. Kieran, do you want to come in and explain <laughs> your emotions on that one? <laughs> um, sources say that Deli Alley's heart's not in football anymore. I say no more yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, to be to be honest, Deli Alley is a very good footballer, but if if he's the answer then the question's the wrong one. And also, what's happened to Everton? Can you can you think that there's any Everton fan out there thinking to themselves, well, we've had a good window, we signed Tarkovsky. I mean, that's just, that's that's not going to change anything from last season. Mm. They they, no. they didn't concede that many goals, especially at home. <clears throat> I, I just think they're a club in, in, in real flux. And I, I, I think it would have been the story of the Premier League had Everton gone down last season I think it would have been uh, immense but also look how far behind they've suddenly found themselves behind Liverpool and, yeah. and it's look, not only Liverpool but it's the similar but, but, clubs it, like it, West Ham abs- like Newcastle well, like that, Palace that, that, exactly. absolutely and, and also how are they going to attract player who wants to, you know who's, if you've got a choice why would you go to Everton at the moment when, it, mm. when the financial future is so uncertain as I'm sure Kieran will elaborate well, Kieran, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you about Everton. It's quite a, they're one of the clubs to, to talk about in the minute with this topic of conversation. First of all, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at a little bit about their, their owner, Mashir here, who once described Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, a, a finished Wayne Rooney, Yannick Belassin, Cenk Tosin as Everton's Fab Four. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, they're, they're financial difficulties at the moment in the sense of, obviously, last season their, their business was limited in in the sense of free transfers of Andros Towns and, and Damari Growers about as the, the highlight of their summer. Uh, and perhaps their their table in the uh, finishing the table suggested that was was a pro- probably an outcome of their business really. Um, but yeah, as 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 Kevin quietly mentioned and uh, about the stadium and, and the works that are happening there, how are they managing to get their how are they managing to build a stadium? Is what I'm trying to say when that when they can't put a penny to get together for a player. What, what's happening at Everton at the moment? Well, the, the reason why they can't spend on players is because they're limited by financial fair play. So so that is independent. Um, there is a special, uh, there is a Goodison variant of COVID, <laughs> which allowed them to claim £170 million worth of COVID costs compared to, yeah, I think Palace were £40 million, Leicester were £50 yeah. million. All, well, all the other clubs were, were picking in yeah, sort of mid-10s. Everton said 170 and And the Premier League appeared to have yeah, acquiesced to that. Um, but they've still got no wiggle room going forwards. I, th- I think the, the big issue in terms of the stadium is everybody seems to think that Mr Usmanov would be providing a significant amount of funding for that. Mm-hmm. He would appear to be no longer on the scene, although you have to be very cautious when you say these things uh, if you don't want to end up dead in a bath. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, Another one of those parties again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is niche. Um, so, Kieran, so uh, yeah. If you end up dead in the bath, Kieran, it'll be because the, if you end up dead in the bath, it'll be because the Baroness has heard you talking about the Moscow girls again. No, it won't be able to <laughs> Trust me. I'll make a note of that. <laughs> Moscow girls, yeah. Let me try that down. 
Okay. Uh, Kieran, right. just just before we move on to, to the next club, you mentioned financial fair play and that's their limitation. What what do Everton need to do for, for the football funds out there who aren't okay with all this terminology? What do Everton need to do to become a football club that can actually pay transfer fees for players? Is it as simple as reducing their wage bill? Is it moving on a few assets? What? How, how, where do they get themselves out of that mess? Well, they've they've got rid of two or three players off payroll in, in the in in this window, so yeah. that have helped. Uh, yeah, Richarlison when he signed from Watford was on a good contract. Uh, I think the issue with Everton is that they tried to perhaps run before they could walk under Mashiri, and, and that involved them paying wages which were out out of step with the players they were recruiting. They were simply overpaying. Uh, mm. for decent but not outstanding players. But the trouble is you can't move those players on because nobody else will match the wages. I think some of those deals are now coming to an end. Um, they've they've got £50 million from Richarlison, quite a bit of that's FFP profit. Uh, they do have some assets in the likes of Calvert-Lewin, but I think especially Anthony Gordon, uh, you know, because he's, he's come through the ranks, so if you sell that's pure profit, uh, I think he'll probably stay. But the, the danger is, of course, if, if you... If, if you sell those players uh, in order to free up funds for the transfer market, are you nece- you're not necessarily replacing them with better players. Uh, so so that, that's the conundrum that they face. They, they, tr- mm. they tried to buy their way into the top six under Mishiri. It didn't work. And it, it's a classic case of, if you look at the Bill Kenwright days of of very, very modest spending, they, they didn't tend to have the same car crash which they had last season. Mm. Thank you very much, gents. Uh, moving on to uh, to Fulham, if we can, and uh, an outstanding season they had in the in the championship last time around. We don't need to mention the fact that Alexander Mitrovic got quite a few last season in in forty three uh, in, in particular. Uh, Kevin, as a as a, a fan of a, of a, a London club, Fulham, what what can you expect from them this season? I think there's a few people suggesting that they might actually stay up this season and, and give it a good go. I'm not sure. It, for a London fan, Fulham are a strange team, man, because they're, they're despite their location in the heart of very expensive West London, they are essentially a working class team. Their, their fans traditionally came from from Hammersmith and, and Putney. That's how their fans see them. In the past couple of years, they've been acting like they're a sort of mini Chelsea. They clearly seem to be positioning themselves as the the second West London giant, if you like. Just in terms of logic, again, and as a football fan who normally deals with emotion, I don't see why they would stay up again. Marco Silva's record in keeping teams in the Premier League doesn't hold water. <laughs> Does it, 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 exactly. And Mitrovic is now two years older than the last time he was in the Premier League and he didn't score any goals the last time he was in the Premier League. So mm. the fact that he scored that many goals in in the Championship, also how many Premier League teams have, have been in for him You know when he was in the Championship? Premier League teams have looked at him. He, I, I don't see him scoring goals in the Premier League. I'd, I'd seri- I seriously don't. I, I, I don't see him doing anything other than struggle. But the, the scenario I imagine for Fulham will be that He'll be sacked by November, Silver, and they'll bring somebody else in to try and Scott Parker. Keep... You, you don't, you never know. But I, I, I don't know how much they've spent on that on that new stand. I don't know how, how that's affected their their spending power. But all logic suggests that they won't stay up. I, I, again, as I mentioned, I, I think of the three promoted clubs. For me, 
and it seems counterintuitive considering they went through the playoffs, but Forrest seemed to be the most likely candidate yeah. to stay up. And I, I, I just think sometimes as well, almost in this sort of psychology thing as well, clubs like Norwich somehow get into the Premier League and because they've never stayed in it, they don't stay in it in a way. Because it took Palace, it's, this was our sixth time in the Premier League, the first five times or four times we went down after one season. So it's that it's that breaking that duck is is the important thing. But I I, I honestly genuinely can't see Fulham doing it, and I, I worry. I've heard Fulham fans talk about them having ideas above this station. I, I know Fulham fans have never been particularly happy about that that neutral bit in the grounds. They're certainly not happy about the the ticket prices that are being charged for match days. I, but I, I generally no, I can't see them stay up. To be perfectly honest, not with Marco Silva. No, I, I don't see. I just don't get the logic of saying, "Well, this time he might get it right," because I, I don't see why he would. Rob, well, a lot of players have, have left uh, Craven Cottage this summer. Um, not least Fabio Cavallo, of course, gone to uh, to Liverpool on to bigger and better. But a lot of um, perhaps tried and tested Championship players have left the club. They've they bought a couple in. Uh, Jay Polina from from Sporting seems to be the the headline transfer for them, alongside Andreas Pereira from Fulham. It does definitely, if there is a stereotype, does definitely feel like a Marco Silva team with those type of signings that he's making. Are, are those the type of players that he's going to need to, to stay up or is it, do, do they need a bit more? Yeah, they're going to need a lot more. Uh, it's it's not Pereira, I'm sorry. Um, not good enough for, was it Flamengo? He, he got loaned to and they sent him back. Um, yeah, Mitrovic, again, he's not going to do it in the Prem. I've got him going down uh, 19th. Um, they'll go straight down. Uh, well, what more do you want to say, really? Um, it's, I think it's to to your point, Kevin. I think because uh, these teams like Fulham and Norwich, they've almost, I think, become too comfortable with getting relegated and then coming back up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because yeah. they've got so familiar with it, and they think, well, okay, yeah, if if we don't, if we do go down, not the end of the world. We'll have another championship season. We'll win it. We'll get the money yeah. and have another go next time. Rather than thinking, you know, pulling themselves together and thinking, right, this is you know where we, we we're going to stay in this season. We're going to make an effort. It's oh well, if you know, if it doesn't, we'll, we'll try again next time. But um, yeah. No, I, I don't see him. I don't see him staying up. Really, I don't think whatever players they bring in, like Pelinia, they're going to have to hit the ground running, and that's that can be hard for for a player coming outside the prem, coming into the prem. So, no, straight down for me. <laughs> Uh, and Kieran heading to you now just to talk about Fulham's uh, finances and 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 their uh, their owner. Uh, the Khans are a particularly interesting group of people, very uh, active on social media. And I'm not sure what Fulham's fans' perception are of of their their owners. What what, what can you tell us about Fulham and, and in particular that new stadium or sorry new stand that has been built? Fulham clearly have a strategy of going for the affluent prawn sandwich stroke tourist <laughs> fan. Uh, yeah, that, that that inherently goes against the grain, I think, of everything that myself and Kevin, as as, as we are now known as legacy fans, according to Florentino <laughs> Perez, um, <laughs> sort of stand for. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not Bovril and people pissing on your feet um, <laughs> in in the seat. Uh, so um, Shahid Khan's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of mouth as well. Mm. Uh, 
if, if you take a look at what Fulham did when they got promoted two times ago, they spent £120 million trying to survive. It didn't work. The next time they got promoted, they spent half of that much. That didn't work. They've just given Mitrovic the most lucrative contract in the history of the EFL, and that was enough to get them promoted. Mm. Uh, and, and, we'll, and, we, and we now wait and see. But they, they've not been particularly profligate in this summer's window and and they've lost an extremely good player to Liverpool as well so yeah. I think I think they they were again 17th happy days yeah so can I, can I just say Rob shame on you for laughing at the idea of a stroke tourist I heard you <laughs> <laughs> chuckling when Kira said stroke tourist <laughs> you know what? you you, you got to take it where you can you can get it I think and um, <laughs> oh dear. Brilliant. Yeah. Right then, on to uh, the next team, and that is uh, Leeds United. Uh, a turbulent season for them. Last season, manager will change over uh, halfway through the season with uh, the much loved Marcelo Bielsa bowing out for uh, new manager. And I've completely forgotten the new manager, Jesse Marsh. The, uh, right. the US gentleman that's taken over the reins in, in Leeds. Uh, 17th placed finish last season. Um, Rafinha and Kevin, Phili- uh, Kevin Phillips, that'll be one. Calvin Phillips leaving uh, the club to join uh, Barcelona and Manchester City, respectively. Uh, Kevin, what's your thoughts on uh, Leeds United for the upcoming season? Well, do you know what? I, th- I thought they'd be relegated at the end of last season. Uh, and a friend of mine who's a Leeds home and away fan, even though he's from Gloucester and he's got a preposterous sitcom West Country accent, pointed out that it it, it was always going to take a last-minute goal against a nine-man team for them to stay up, which is exactly what it did. <laughs> I, I just think it, it feels like deja vu already. We've said this about, I think, two other clubs at least. They've lost their two best players. I mean, they they mm. they struggled. They struggled to stay up last season. They've lost their two best players. They haven't replaced them. I can't see anything other than problems for them. And I think their other big issue was that under Jesse Marsh, they became very physical, too physical. I mean, Jesse Marsh overestimated the physicality of the Premier League. They were very, very dirty against us. They got a nil-nil at Sellers Park. And a couple of high-profile sendings off in, in the last couple of games. I, I think that's going to happen again. I think Jesse Marsh is brought into this whole idea of this sort of by osmosis, this dirty Leeds idea that hangs around from our generation and feels that he has to kind of kick his way out of trouble. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens, but it, it looks to me like they're kind of sleepwalking into problems. And that after all the time and trouble it took to get back in the Premier League, it'd be a shame for them to, to, to drop out of it relatively quickly because they are one of those clubs, and I know there are a lot of them, but they're huge traditional historical club who should be in the Premier League, but... I, I really do predict problems for them without those without those two players. Rafinha, in particular, I mean, it's I mean, it, he, he was their one real creative outlet, and now they've they've lost that. So I I, I can only really see struggles for them, to be honest. Uh, Rob, they've brought in a, a couple of players in this window. Obviously, having having lost uh, probably their two best players, I think it's fair to say Brendan Aronson and, and Rasmus Christensen from from RB Salzburg, uh, Mark Berg from from Bayern Munich. Are, are these the type of replacements that are going to keep Leeds's head above water, or is it is it too much to ask with their two best players leaving the club and, and replacing them with people you know without Premier League experience? Um, well, just before I rate those transfers, I, I just say Leeds can piss off if, for all I care, really. <laughs> I don't mind. They can go down. I don't give, uh, give a shit. 
Um, no, well, so I'll in, in just the... interrupt you there, Rob. <laughs> yeah, sorry. When I, when I say that there are traditional historical teams, that should be, <laughs> I, mm. I generally don't give a monkey's whether they are or not. But I feel that we should give some kind of old man nod to, to tradition. Yeah, yeah. Now, all I care yeah. about is whether Palace are here. I don't care who the other 19 teams are. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sodom, Sodom. Who cares? Uh, no, so I, to be honest, I, I think the signings are—they're not going to easily just make up for for Phillips and Rafinha, but I think they are—they are good players. And and obviously, it's only pre-season yet, but we've seen a few good things from from Aronson, um and, and Tyler Adams as well. He, he's always been highly rated playing over in Germany, uh, relatively highly rated. Um, yeah, I don't see. Why not between the the two, three, four signings they've made that they they can't plug the hole from from Phillips, Rafinha? Um, they've got a a, a Colombian winger Sinistera from uh, Feyenoord. Um, he's yeah, he'll go some way for Rafinha, but it, it's not Rafinha. He's, he's you know one of these um, one of these wild cards. You you can't you can't really replace. He's almost like a Richarlison type. You know he's very much heart on the sleeve sort of bit of a madman type um yeah i know what you mean though um about them being a dirty side and they've almost got to play up to being a dirty side to to the point where they're almost you know in in spite of that now it's actually detrimental to them that they're they're just dirty and they'll get disciplinary problems every game rather than actually getting something out of it which is which was the point before um Personally, myself, I've got them down as twelfth. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I think the signings. I think they're quite. I think they're they're quite good in the middle. But yeah, up front, if Bamford can stay fit, um, what's the other like Rodrigo? He doesn't really offer anything. For, well, for I think this is honest. the thing for Leeds. Obviously, Patrick Bamford was it was a big miss last season, and and, and yeah. him returning fully fit will inevitably be a bonus for them. What what I will suggest is with Leeds is that I've never seen a Premier League prediction for Leeds so far swaying. And and if mm. you take the simple facts into matter, in that in that. They have lost the two best players. That inevitably weakens a team. But there are people out there that do think that will actually improve on their position, despite arguably weakening the team. I understand the, the recruitment behind it, but it does. For, for me personally, I do think it will be be a struggle. Um, Kieran, moving on to, to yourself, I want to bring you in now and, and ask a bit, a little bit about uh, Lee's business this summer. Obviously, they received a, a large proportion of money for for Rafinha and for for Calvin Phillips. A lot of that money has been spent. Is is there much more money in the bank for Leeds to go ahead and further strengthen that squad? Um, I, I think uh, Leeds' finances are, are pretty damn good. They've, they've got a huge merchandise dies, uh, deal. Uh, they sell you know hundreds of thousands of units a year. Uh, the the tie up with the 49ers... Uh, I think might be coming through uh, in terms of uh, they've they've recruited Jesse March, although. Whenever I see him, the way he dresses, he, he reminds me of sort of a, you know, a, uh, somebody that was selling me E in 1992 <laughs> on on sort of Marbella Beach at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he's just sort of that sort of that sort of that wiry hustler uh, vibe about him. Uh, I find that very difficult to take him seriously as a football manager. On the back of that, um, but he's he's clearly knows what he's doing. I, I don't think Leeds are going to struggle. I'm, I'm I'm with Rob. But uh, okay. that, Kieran, uh, Kieran's lived uh, quite the life for an accountancy teacher, isn't he? 
<laughs> no, I was I was gonna say. I mean, you know, we spoke before about these Moscow girls. We had these, these <laughs> what was it, touchy feely clubs or whatever they were, and and now he, he on a beach. Because so. on a, on, a, on a serious note, Patrick Bamford uh, is subject to one of my favourite football heckles. But all my, it, uh, the, the Patrick Bamford we saw at Palace bears no relation to Patrick Bamford at Leeds, and I think there were about mm. eight other clubs he was on loan at. I remember at Palace where he was willing, he was just shit. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> But there was one occasion where he blasted over from about six yards and the wonder blokes next to me in the scenes, it was just doing his nut. And another one just shouted at him and said, leave him alone, he can play the violin. <laughs> which, which, which kind of summed up Patrick we all went oh yeah fair point yeah yeah. we shouldn't really be expecting that much from him to be perfectly honest but I, I, I wonder I mean that injury he had was so bad I'm, I'm not entirely sure he's going to be coming back and getting 20 goals next season mm-hmm. for them to be honest but I do genuinely think they'll struggle I, I, I think the game we played against them pre-season out in, in uh, Australia turned into a kicking match quite early on and I think that's going to happen a lot Yes, same same with ours as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll move on to to Leicester City. I think the only club in the Premier League to this yeah. date of recording who mm. haven't made a signing so far. Correct me if I'm wrong, gents. Um, we've just heard the news that Kasper Schmeichel has ended his 11 year stint mm. at the club to join Nice in uh, the French top tier. Um, I think Leeds will struggle. Uh, not Leeds, sorry. I do think Leeds will struggle. I also think Leicester will struggle this season as well. I do feel like they've had their their time at the top of the table. They've still got some very good players, of course. Um, A lot of speculation about the future of James Madison at this moment in time as well. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on Leicester this season? Because I know for sure that they... I remember watching Match of the Day last season or or the highlights, whatever it was, and every Leicester game I was watching, they were conceding from a set piece. And there's horrendous from set pieces last season. So talk to us about Leicester. Brendan Rodgers certainly seems to have the hump. Uh, I mean, we saw Scott Parker this week publicly saying that he thought the club were budgeting for relegation and that he didn't think they could stay up with the players that he had. Um, I, I think it's astonishing that they've done no business and Kieran will be able to elaborate why. I think the only consolation is, and I've heard quite a few Leicester fans say this on, on social media and on, on phone-ins, that uh, with the players they've got back from injury they do feel like new signings, but that's the sort of cliche you reach for when you haven't signed anybody, yeah. really. And and Leicester are a club that you'd think, I mean, it's only six years since they were, were champions. You'd think their ambitions have been recalibrated, that they should be looking for top six every season and they should be able to attract players in. But it's interesting that Schmeichel has been such a mainstay for them, captain as well, has gone, it, you know, like you say, there are people sniffing around their best players. There's, there's not that long left to the, the transfer window. I mean, I think they've still got a good enough squad to probably maintain a, a relatively comfortable mid-table position. But I mean, I'm intrigued as to why they haven't done any business at all. Mm. Um, we'll bring Kieran straight away in on that one because obviously Kieran might be able to shed some light on, on why Leicester haven't brought anyone through the door. Uh, Leicester's uh, average weekly player wage bill sorry Leicester's average wage bill for a player is 92 grand a week and we're talking no no disrespect we're talking Leicester City Mm. Uh, and and I think that has uh, led to issues they remember it wasn't it was was only two years ago that they won the FA Cup yeah yeah. Um, and and they they paid out big bonuses they've they've renewed contracts Um, I, I think they will be 
as always, reliant on Jamie Vardy to score the goals. And he, and he, he does defy time. And uh, I think it's fair to say that he'll probably be in need of goal bonuses more than he did uh, and, and any other point in his career, given what his missus has, uh, has, has landed <laughs> for the family. So, so I think, I think he'll, he'll be showing a lot of hunger. Um, but uh, their, their wages, you know, and this, this is the type of crap that I look at, if you look at their wages as a proportion of income, Two years ago, it was £105 in wages for every £100 coming in. Last season, it was £85. Uh, UEFA say if you're above 70 you're, you're, you're on the naughty step, in effect. Um, they've, not got, uh, they've not got Europe to, to contribute mm. towards the coffers this year. Uh, so I, I think it's, they're going to find it a, a challenging season. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I think yeah, we, they're, they're, they're more likely to be bottom six than top six. Wow, but Kieran, doesn't the fact that they pay good wages mean they should be? It should be easier to attract players. Well, I think they now realise they need to get some of those wages off, right? Off, off, off uh, the right, roster. Right, um, right. You know, and you know, Schmeichel was on was on was on big bucks. Jamie Vardy's on big bucks. Uh, Madison will have been on a good contract as well. I, I think he's a fantastic player when he's in the mood. Mm. Uh, and, he, and he's and to be fair to me, he's one. He's probably in the mood thirty games out of thirty eight. Uh, the reason why he's not at a, a big four club is because it's it's only thirty out of thirty eight, rather than uh, you know the, the demands that are put on them by by some of the other clubs. But I, I, I love watching him. Mm. Mm. Uh, Rob, gonna gonna bring you in, and I'm just looking at Leicester squad here, and I can immediately recognise that pretty much every player had a spile on the sidelines last season, and mm. and that probably contributed as to why. I mean, we're talking like Leicester had a bad season last season; they didn't have finished eighth. Uh, yeah. Which for, for a club yeah. the size of Leicester is is, is a fantastic <laughs> achievement, um, but it, it does begin to feel like Leicester are on the downward spiral. Whereas a couple of years ago, the worst started to look a little bit more like a, 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 someone who could break into the top four or top six and, and sort of break that traditional mould. What, what are you thinking for Leicester this season? Yeah, yeah, I think they've I think they've had the moment in the sun now, and and um, you can see. I think the the time to push on was was a, a few seasons ago, and maybe they they didn't if they wanted to stay up, uh, you know, top sort of eight team. Um, I think Leicester at the moment can be encapsulated by even Schmeichel leaving and wanting to wanting to leave. And I mean, no disrespect to Nice, but Nice of all teams for mm. for Schmeichel, um, you know, it almost. I just want to get out of the club. In in a sense, I I don't know. I mean, a, a load of Premier League sides could have had Schmeichel, but yeah, um, possibly. Um, yeah, it's it's not great, and like you say, still no transfers. I mean, I've, my notes I wrote here about two weeks ago. Uh, I had transfers zero, still zero now. Um, I mean, you look at their their front front line. You've got in terms of striker, what a 35, 36 year old Vardy. Uh, Ian Acho and Patson Dacker. Um, yeah, okay, let's, uh, you know, Vardy had hernia operations and things towards the end of last season. Um, you know, between those three, I, I can't, I think they just have another average to poor season. I've got them down here with 16th. Um, I don't think well, they've been too, too much trouble, but it's. Well, 16th place prediction would, would certainly anticipate a bit of trouble, Rob. No, I, I don't think there'll be. I don't think they'll be flirting with relegation like that, but I think it will. They, they they might have a poor spell towards the end of the season, but not enough to to be dragged into the relegation fight. But almost you know, like Southampton did the the season just gone that a 
you know, lost like the last five games or whatever and, and, and fell down the table. So, um, yeah, I mean, could I even see Brendan Rodgers leaving this season? Possibly. I don't, I don't think that's beyond the, the realms of possibility yeah, for yeah, being and, completely honest. I think it feels like and, a new project he might need, Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a, there's a few more uh, players that will be on high wages still and at Arsenal looking at Tillman's. I'm surprised no one's coming in for uh, and, and Diddy as well. I've always, mm. I've always thought he was a decent player for his position. Um, I know Man United were, were looking for a hold in mid. Um, yeah, I think they've... No. <laughs> Sorry, no, <laughs> just no. Uh, yeah, 16th. I think they've they've had the time now. I love the way Cal said, uh, well, 16th would indicate uh, that you are anticipating a bit of trouble, Rob. <laughs> Classic phone-in presenter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to recycle public, it. Basically. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> So you're saying then that Leicester are the worst team you've ever seen in your life. Is that what you're saying? So it's going to, it's going to it's going to Right, let's move on to uh, last year's runners-up and, and let's discuss Liverpool for a, a small period of time. So the, the, the famous front three of, of Mane, Firmino and Salah has, has now been broke up with Mane's departure to uh, to Bayern Munich. Um, we'll, we'll come on to Man City and it's inevitable to, to sort of compare the two teams, but it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, star signing Darwin Nunes fares this year and how he will, uh, if you want to compare to Sadio Mane and what type of numbers he will get um, this this season. Um, Kevin, is it is it too much to ask Liverpool to to pip City to the title whilst losing Sadio Mane? Yes, I think. I, I, first of all, thank Christ Mane's gone. 14 <laughs> times he's played against us and 14 times Mane scored. Oh, wow. He scored against us more times than any other player in the Premier League. Uh, I, I was talking to my friends Tom and Ash in the off-licence today, who Kieran knows of by repute. Uh, two Ethiopian lads obsessed with football. They know more about football than anybody I know. And both <laughs> of them saying today that they thought this was going to be the most competitive Premier League season for a while, that they thought four, maybe five teams could be going for top two. I can't see it. I can't see beyond Liverpool, Man City. And to be honest... I can't see. I can't see beyond Man City. I, 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 I would rather watch Liverpool play football. I would pay money to watch Liverpool play football. I think they're a wonderful team to watch. But I just, I, I just think when push comes to shove, Man City are a points gathering machine. And, and apart from the, the odd defeat to Palace, they, they don't seem to have that blip in them where, that Liverpool occasionally do. But I, I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch again in, in the way that any two horse race is, is exciting, no matter what Sky tell us. But I, I, I often wonder as well whether Liverpool's main ambition at the start of every season is winning the Champions League now rather than winning the league. Because much as I can't see Man City not winning the league, I can't see them winning the Champions League either. They just haven't, don't seem to have what it takes to get over the line. So it, it'll be as interesting to watch as it always is. Liverpool will batter most teams at Anfield as they always do Sky will sell it as the most exciting league in the world when it isn't always but yeah, they're, they're a wonderful team to watch they always are and they're brilliant going forward I like the fact that Klopp clearly trusts his back five so much that he doesn't really want, worry what the other six in front of them do uh, but the one thing about Liverpool as well they do have different ways of scoring goals I mean they will you know, they, they will rip up plan A and go to... If they have to go for a long ball, they'll go for a long ball and that's often quite effective. But I I, I genuinely can't see them pipping City this season, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring you in here and, and talk to you about 
the depth a little bit because I feel like two seasons ago we were talking about Man City as this team who had an incredible amount of squad depth and was a big reason as to why um, a lot of people favoured them for the title. There's been a, a, a flip in that now where Man City seem to have got a few players off the books. Um, obviously, they've improved and, and we'll get on to Man City shortly. But Liverpool seem to be a team that have got two players in each position now. And not only two players in each position, but good players in, in each position. How, how important do you think that is ahead of the, the season up ahead for, for Liverpool? I mean, you say that, but they've just got rid of Minamino and Divock Origi as well. Um, which I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're any uh, level with... Salah and Mane, but they're not particularly. Um, yeah, they're, they're not that good. But you know, their their depth and everything. Can, and Origi famously, he came up with some some really late and, and big goals for them as well. Uh, so I mean, they've they've lost they've lost that. Um, I think it's yeah, it, it's the general consensus. I think that Liverpool would be second, and I don't think it's going to be that close again this year. Uh, not like the the season just gone. Um, I think the focus obviously is going to be on that front line with Mane going, Nunez coming in. But I think the importance as well of the midfield, particularly Fabinho um, and and Thiago as well. Uh, I think they get overlooked a lot. Um, And and I think a lot of the success will come from that. Will come from the midfield and and obviously through the the defence as well. So I think if we do see any injuries... Uh, you know, yeah, we, we we might see Liverpool fall. So you might see that those blips, as as we mentioned. Um, I mean, I, I know Allison currently uh, is injured. We don't know if he'll be back for the, the start of the season. Um, so that means they've got Adrian in goal, who is shit. I'm sorry. It, <laughs> what happened to it, Kelleher? What happened to Kelleher? That, well, that's what him. I thought. That's what I thought when they put him in for the uh, the, the community shield. I'm sorry, Ad, Adrian was decent at West Ham. And then he went to Liverpool and put grease on his gloves every time he plays. <laughs> awful. Uh, and he famously was the goalkeeper in goal when we beat them 7-2. Um, so, yeah, uh, at Liverpool, um, second. And, and, yeah, I think maybe the focus might be more for the for Champions League and maybe they'll take their eyes off the prize a bit of in the league. But, yeah, I don't think it will be that close this this time. Kieran, gonna gonna bring you in. It, it would appear um, that Liverpool have, have potentially done their business this summer. Um, obviously, they've they've had to strengthen with with Mane's uh, departure. Obviously, bringing in Fabio Cavallo from from Fulham for what seems to be a bit of a bargain at five million pound, and and Calvin Ramsey from Aberdeen up and coming uh, right back. Uh, would you agree that Liverpool are done in this window now? Yes, yes. Liverpool like to do their buying early. Uh, the the FSG model is is very scientific indeed when you compare it to most other clubs. Um, I, I I wrote a piece for uh, uh, this is Anfield I think uh, uh, a couple of days ago where I said they were going to come second. But the more I reflect on it, I think if Liverpool stay injury free in the key positions this season, my gut feeling is that they're now going to win it because. Uh, I, I, we, we were trying to sign Nunes two or three seasons ago um, and he quite rightly decided that rather than have a, uh, a battle for, for relegation in the Premier League, he'd rather play you know, Champions League football. He, he, he is the real deal. Um, I, I think he could surpass uh, the contribution that Mane made. So they're not going to have a problem uh, scoring goals. My, my concern in terms of their defence, I think which you've already hinted at, is that if 
Allison and Van Dyke get injuries, then they are looking as slightly more vulnerable. If those two stay fit uh, for the full season, uh, I, it, it's going to be tight. But I think that, I think they could probably nick it. Kieran, what makes you think they'll nick it over Man City? Because everyone's going for Man City, myself included. What makes you think they're a stronger proposition than Man City if everyone remains injury-free? The the reason why I say that is that City have... I'm not saying that they've they've put all of their chips into uh, Haaland, but they will have to change their style of play to fit in around him. Now, he's a brilliant player. But I'm just thinking that they, they certainly looked undercooked in the uh, in the Community Shield. And I think Liverpool could just get a three or four point lead early on in the season until Highland starts firing on all cylinders. And mm. they, Liverpool are, are street smart. When, it, you know, when Liverpool go ahead, they, they don't tend to be pegged back, apart from the fact that, ironically, you know, they, they were 2-0 up against us after an hour at Anfield and we got two goals back and that, that cost them the, the Premier League. Um, but um, they, they they are a smart team. They, they 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 will benefit from the five substitutions rule because if, if, if you, you just look at what they can swap around in that front five, you, you, you've got, uh, yeah, you've got Salah, Nunes, uh, Jota, Firmino, that um, they've got other players that can come in from, from wide. They can, they can drop down to having a pure two up front. Um, and uh, they they are very very good at at player management uh, because they they spend so much time and, and uh, resource into monitoring the players and it's a lot easier to monitor the, to 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 maximise the outputs from players when you've got sixteen players on the pitch every match as opposed to to to, to fourteen. Uh, a perfect link really into uh, discussing Man City obviously came into to conversation there. Uh, the big news this summer, of course, is the transfer of Erling Haaland from uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, interesting uh, bit of business from them this summer. Calvin Phillips joining from Leeds as well, but quite a lot of uh, key players who contributed towards their success leaving this summer, not least uh, Fernandinho, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, uh, also Alexander Zinchenko leaving as well. Uh, Kevin, a lot of business done by Man City this summer. They've, they've seemed to somehow balance balance the books in terms of the deals that they've done, which would um, suggest that they're quite uh, handy in the in the transfer market. Um, despite the losses of some quite important players, uh, are, are you of the opinion that it'll still be enough with what they brought in to, to retain the title? I think so. Although I, I'm just interested hearing Kieran talk there. I'm, I'm wavering a little bit. I'm, I'm not used to Kieran just talking about football. It's usually complicated stuff that I don't fully understand, but I think, I think, I think Kieran argued the point really well. I, um, they've certainly, I saw one journalist say they've streamlined the squad. They've certainly streamlined it quite uh, drastically. Yeah. The thing I'm looking forward to most next season is Jonathan Pierce trying to get a word out of Erling Haaland in post-match interviews because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you can Google, there's a montage of Haaland being interviewed after games. Yeah. He used, he is the most sullen, sulky one. He just literally he answers every question. I think he's doing it deliberately, but he answers every question literally. And if you if you ask him a yes no question, you get a yes no answer. Mm. I, I think it's fascinating that for all City's brilliant football, just about every pundit last season said they need an old fashioned centre forward. And I, and I think a lot of people assume that would be Harry Kane. I think they're interested in Harry Kane was genuine. Uh, so it's. It's interesting that Kane, I think, probably decided to stay at Tottenham. I think he could have gone to City 
if he wanted to. I think Haaland will get them goals in situations where they couldn't last year. I mean, certainly against us when it was nil-nil. I think if they had a proper old-fashioned striker like Harry Kane who was willing to get in on the end of 50-50 crosses rather than waiting for perfect balls, I think they would have scored more goals and won even more points. I think it's a huge season for Grealish. I really do. I think mm. uh, I think Pep loves him. And he didn't quite didn't quite come off for him last season. I can see Phillips being a regular uh, in sentiment, it, but it's it's interesting that of of the people he's brought in, he's brought in an old fashioned you know, British style hard tackling midfielder, and he's brought in despite the fact he's German, he's brought in an old fashioned British style. Mm. centre forward but uh, they, they certainly offloaded more players than I thought they would do without without replacing them one for one I mean letting people I mean Zinchenko is a cracking player he's a really good player yeah. so letting him Versatile go too. and letting Jesus go is almost you know I said at the start of this pod that I thought Jesus was the best signing of the summer but it's all it's almost a slap in the face for Arsenal it's almost saying to mm. Arsenal you can have two of our best players you still ain't getting anywhere near us so <laughs> Uh, so, but it, it's interesting but no I, I still they just know how to win I, I, I just think it'll only be three or two or three points in it but for me they've just got enough about them to win those games although again it might be that they are the Champions League has become their priority and, and again I think Haaland was bought with an eye on the Champions League because he's a he's a player that will get them in those games where City eventually struggle against the top four teams in, in Europe, Haaland is a player that could get them goals out mm. of nothing in, in those games. And I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think their fans would certainly say the Champions League would be their priority rather than the... Certainly so many times you can win the Premier League, isn't there? Should be, I think you should be made to have a year off, essentially, after a certain <laughs> amount of times because it does get a bit dull. But... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm going to be interested. I think Haaland will hit the ground running, but I'll be. I'm interested. Grealish is the one that interests me most as an England fan because I really think. I think England, if England are going to flourish, I think they need. We haven't got a lot of creativity in that England team, and I think Grealish has got the energy and the creativity. He's he's a, he's a better version of Conor Gallagher, basically. And we saw how good he was in the Premier League last year. So. I think this is a big season for, for Grealish. You know, I think the price tag weighed him down a little bit last season. But I think Guardiola's got such faith in him. And I, I think I think with Grealish out wide supplying Haaland, I think we, they could be in for a lot of goals. And we shouldn't uh, also forget uh, Alvarez, who uh, joined as well, the transfer that was yeah. made in January. A lot of hype around uh, him for for this season. Rob, uh, in, in terms of Man City this season, obviously I know you're you're a big Jack Grealish fan. Uh, does the <laughs> departure of Raheem Sterling um, give give Grealish maybe a bit more of an opportunity to cement a a starting place in in Manchester City's eleven? I think it depends on Sterling. I think it depends on the signing of Haaland that that Grealish will will play more. Because I think, like you say, Kevin, it, it's going to be that link up uh, between Grealish and, and Haaland uh, that is going to be very dangerous if if Jack can um, keep it together. Uh, you know, if he, we don't see a repeat of last season, yeah, it will be a big season. Uh, I was going to say, you bugger as well. Uh, no one mentions Alvarez. I wanted to be the one that mentioned <laughs> Alvarez. So, you, 
Um, but yeah, Rob, I mean, can, I just, can I just say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when yeah. Cal mentioned that you were a big fan of Tony Grealish, the corner of your Villa flag just <laughs> it turned out. Just it, oh no, it, it sort of, <laughs> the, the flag was just weeping silently. I know uh, you, one of your best players. You can't keep saying it, otherwise it's going to dissolve. And sort of, <laughs> don't, don't mention yeah. Delph, whatever you do. You'll, you'll, <laughs> no, forget about him. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, it would just dissolve, and you like the, the dungeon behind me. So, um, but uh, I think is it too early to say Alvarez could be the new Aguero? I'm going to say yes, that. yes, Why not? it is yes. <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, he's got more goals than Haaland currently, anyway. So, I mean, uh, there's there's that. Um, here's a bit of an interesting question. I, I don't know the answer to it myself. Is the key to success? Was it always? Was it City's squad depth? Because we were talking about the, the streamline streamlining the squad, does it actually matter that much that they that they are streamlining the squad? Because if you think, you know, people are Ake and everything, how many games really do these fringe players get that they are selling? You know, and obviously, yeah, Sterling, obviously. But I think I don't think it's going to matter too much with the quality they have brought in. Uh, getting getting rid of a few wouldn't be so bad um but yeah I've, I've got them down as as finishing um as finishing first but uh now after kieran has persuaded me to say maybe harland won't get up to speed so quickly uh it's a little it's a little bit tighter than i thought it will but um it should be should be cities and if they can't win the champions league with harland then uh, i think they should they should give up I reckon and find some of the pursuit. Maybe can can they go for the the, the Papa John's trophy or whatever it is? Go for that instead. I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin, I'm going to bring you in. And and, and how much um, plaudits do the people behind the scenes at, at Manchester City deserve um, in the sense of their business system in, in somehow being able to essentially break even in their transfer business? I mean, not that finances are a worry, of course, for, for Manchester City, but it, it should it be uh, applauded nonetheless. Yeah, and we're also forgetting that they sold Ferran Torres and mm. they got a very good fee for him as well. So they've generated an awful lot of income. Uh, they, they've spent cautiously. Um, they, I, I must confess, um, when, when I talk to people in the game, and I don't want to come across as Billy in, in the know here, um, <laughs> they, they sometimes take a bit of criticism for a somewhat uh, offhand way that they deal with other clubs. Um, and it doesn't matter what line of business you're in, you, you've got to build up relationships with people. Mm. There, there's some clubs you will see doing deals. I was, I was talking to to somebody yesterday who was on the board of a big six club, and they said there is one club that they will simply refuse to deal with simply because of the behaviour of, mm. of people at senior levels. And, and, and yeah, we, we tend to think, oh, yeah, the, the coach wants the player, the deal will therefore be done. But actually there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And and at times Manchester City perhaps could be a, a little bit more uh, amenable um, to, to the way that they conduct their business. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, this is nothing to do with Kukurea. Uh, where, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know people are going to say that, but I, I, I think, I think I honestly think they've lost out there. Um, he, he would have been perfect for them. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he, he he really would have been perfect for them. So, so in, in a way, I'm glad that he's not gone there. Um, they, they, they're a fantastic team. Yes, I know that players have moved on, but uh, you know, in Phillips and Harland, they've got two signings. 
Uh, they've, they've got the, the the Argentinian lad whose name I've forgotten, of course. But but what City have got is is fantastic players coming through. It's, it's not just Phil Foden. Yeah, they, they, mm. they've got one or two players who I think could break into that squad, especially given the, you know, the, the five substitution rule. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, and, and Guardiola will want them to to get some experience um, on on the pitch. Uh, you know, when they, when they're three or four up with with twenty minutes to go, it's the perfect time to to rest half the half the starting eleven um, and and the, and the players that can come in and fill those slots. Uh, City have invested extremely well. Um, as, as far as academy football is concerned, because when, when I go back, yeah, I literally I lived in Manchester for forty years. When I, when I go back to sort of you know, a decade ago, before Mansoor came in, uh, everybody wanted to go to, to to Manchester United's academy. That is no longer the case as far as Manchester is concerned. Mm. And, and Kieran, I think they've reaped the benefit. Kieran, serious question. It's, it's something we discussed on Price of Football uh, a few days ago. Uh, Richard Masters, the Premier League head, uh, admitted to a journalist this week that uh, City was still being investigated for FFP breaches, dating mm. back three years. So, is it is it possible that some of the business that they've done is related to that? That they've offloaded huge players off the transfer off the wage bill, and they've got income in? Could that be related? No, I, I, I genuinely think it's it's down to the manager. Um, he he has said on on quite a few occasions that he likes to refresh the squad significantly, um, and it, it's not just this season because if you, if you go back to when when Guardiola first came in, uh, you know, apart from De Bruyne, every everybody every other player is is new. Yeah. So, so yeah. he he yeah, does yeah. he does like to change things around. I, I think that they were convinced last year that Kane was coming to them, and that caught them on the hop to a certain extent. Mm. And, and it was only Grealish, and, and I agree with you, Kevin, entirely that. Uh, this could be uh, this could be an amazing season for Jack Grealish, or we'll see him back in a Villa shirt within eighteen months. So yeah, one of those two <laughs> things will be the case. You mentioned Guardiola. I think it should be mentioned that his contract does actually run out in May, so that is going to be a, uh, a big, big decision for 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 Pep to make. Has he achieved? Or I mean, if he bows out on the Champions, if if City win the Champions League, I, I do feel he could turn around and say. What else do you want me to do? I'm off to my next venture, maybe. Um, but mm. we'll we'll see mm. that towards the end of the season. Moving on to uh, Manchester United now, and uh, I don't know how many season previews we can have talking about United. About is this the season that they come together and start to build something a bit a bit fresher and and start to look like a team that can can threaten again. Um, a sixth place finish last season. A lot of uh, stories about Cristiano Ronaldo this summer and 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 what's happening with him there. Ke- Kevin, I want to ask you specifically uh, about Ronaldo. Actually, if you're in um, if you're in the manager, Susan in in Ten Hag shoes, what are you doing at this point? Because you've got a very experienced player who's, who's won everything that there is to win in the game. He's evidently a goal scorer, one of the best players that that's graced our our game. Are you putting an arm around him and saying, "Come on, you know what?" Or are you in doing that? Are you sort of sacrificing some of your principles, both in terms of playing and and both what you want to sort of inherit the squad with? Really, talk to us about Ronaldo and what you think that situation, how that situation is going to end, is what I'm asking. Really, I think his biggest problem is how he puts his arm around the shoulder of Fred and McTominay and tell them to <laughs> that they, their time is gone because you you simply ain't going to win the Premier League with Fred and McTominay no. in, in your midfield. The Ronaldo thing is, I, I I personally don't think Ten Hag's got enough experience authority. and authority to to do anything other than do what Ronaldo wants him to do. 
to be perfectly honest. The, the relationship that United fans have with Ronaldo is an incredible one, a very passionate one. And the thing is as well, because my instinct is they should have, they, uh, my, my instinct is they shouldn't have brought it back. My instinct is that he is a bump in the road that they can't really move on while he's still there. But he still played really well last season. He's still scored a, a lot of goals. He's still a really, really good player. So do you do you move him on and say, right, we're going to start a rebuilding process that might take three years? Or do you say he's still one of the best players in the world for two seasons? So let's build the team around him. I, I, Ten Hag's interesting because, I mean, he was full of himself when they beat Liverpool uh, away. But when Villa, that second half, after that second half against Villa, he was a dejected man. He, he, he looked really worried about the way United performed against Villa, especially in that second half. I, I found it interesting when Patrick Vieira said a couple of weeks ago that he thought United would uh, be challenging the top twos. I, I can't see it. I really, no. I really can't see it. I mean, I think Man United are a work in progress. It's only just begun, to be perfectly honest. I, it's not a one-season project. They, I, also, it's difficult to talk about Man United because as a my, my all-time football hero is George Best. My two favourite bands are from Manchester. I've got no problem with United at all, except I hate the Glazers. So I always have to make that clear. And that's something Kieran and I have to make sure on the pod that we're, we're talking about hating the Glazers, not hating Man United. It, I, I just, it's it's going to take a long time, and it's going to take money that I don't think the Glazers want to spend. To be perfectly honest, they're so far behind Man City. It's it's simple as that. But not only are they behind Man City, they're behind Liverpool, they're behind Chelsea, I think they're behind Spurs, I think they're behind Chelsea. I think sixth place flattered them a little bit last season. They were awful against Brighton, they were shocking against Palace. And that that's not a you can't turn that around in, in eight weeks of pre-season. You really can't. And and I'm not sure that Ten Hag is the manager to do that I mean and it, I mean, it's significant They, nobody else wants to tell you yeah, the likes of Pochettino are not going to go back to Man United I mean whereas 10 years ago which manager in the world wouldn't want to manage at Old Trafford mm. and now and now it seems to me like a poison chalice and it's you, you're managing with one arm behind your back because as Kieran will tell you the Glazers are only really interested in, in lining their own pockets rather than turning Manchester United into the successful challenging football club that they should be Kieran, we'll get to you in just a second. Robert, I want to ask you uh, a couple of questions about some individuals at, at United. First of all, uh, Bruno Fernandes, um, obviously in his debut season, definitely lit up the Premier League and drew a lot of comparisons to, to Kevin De Bruyne last season. I know United had a, a turbulent season, but he didn't appear to be the um, influential midfielder that he was the, the season prior. And, and also Jadon Sancho as well, a, a player that arrived last season with a lot of hype and, and, and rightly so after um, what he achieved at Borussia Dortmund. Do, do you think United can get a tune out of those two this season? And if they can, where does that put United in terms of position for, for the league, in your opinion? So I think with with Fernandes, yeah, he might have had a little bit of an off season, let's say, compared to his first season, which I think was a little bit um, unrealistic to to measure him off because it was a, a really good first season he had. Or was it even half season? Did he even come in in January? So, mm. he, you know, he, he blew almost his comparative statistics out the water with with that. Uh, but although you've 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 got to look now that they've got uh, Christian Eriksen. Um, who's going to be breathing down Bruno Fernandes' neck for that position. So, um, yeah, Ten Hag, I 
don't think should have a problem with that playmaker role. In in terms of Sancho, he's been on on very good form uh, pre-season, really good in the first half against uh, Villa in in their, their friendly, uh, and of course as well you you think that the the, the Dutch style is the, the the four three three with 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 the two wingers, and that's the style he, he played uh, Ten Hag played at Ajax. Um, so if they were to play that at Man United, Sancho is going to be featured quite heavily. Uh, which um, yeah, he has been in preseason. Looks good. So I think Sancho Sancho's going to be fine. Um, he's a, he's a very he's, he's still a young lad and adapting to the hardest league in the world. Um, overall, Man United, I've got them finishing sixth because there are just six better teams than them for me. Um, I I don't. It sort of doesn't marry up for me. Ten Hag and Man United because. I think the expectations from from Man United and the fans, particularly, are they just want success because they are Man United. They 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 sort of they're owed this sort of success. And I think if you want to bring Ten Hag in to to construct this new project, and and particularly Ajax are very similar to Man United in in terms of the use of the academies. If you want to be utilising the academy, if you want to be bringing in your players and, and this new sort of school of football. You're going to need at least two to three seasons really to see it start going. Have we seen really Man United give any manager two to three seasons if it's not really working out? And particularly the 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 supporters. Um, Man United's a club you don't often get time to turn it around. So I think Ten Hag's got to get it right and, and fairly quickly as well. Which are some a project like this you you, you can't rush. So to me, it's it's not a grey mix, and I can even see maybe Ten Hag going in in two to three seasons as well, because he's not going to be given the time, or it's not going to come off straight away, and they'll they'll say, well, another one. You'd like Ragnick was supposed to be a genius, mm. that didn't work. Ten Hag's supposed to be a genius. I reckon he'll he'll be gone sooner rather than later if it doesn't come off. But also, he keeps he keeps talking about. The high press. He bangs on about it every time. There's got it's to be a great energy. podcast. He's got to be, yeah, it is. It's great. He it, but he's always going on about the high press and and how they've got to play the high press and the energy and enthusiasm. But he's mm. he's talking about doing that with a squad that's shown itself unwilling and unable to do that in in well, previous with, with Ragnik, didn't they? And they weren't bothered to, to yeah. do that. And particularly, you have they players can't. like Ronaldo they, won't won't do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Fernandez, I just wanna... Fernandez, Fernandez won't do it either. I mean, they've got all no, sorts of luxury no. players who, who don't feel it's their job to put that sort mm. of effort in. Well, one of those players yeah. is Anthony Martial, and I'm not sure whether it's financially limited, and that's why we'll bring Kieran in there, but Anthony Martial seems to be going to be the player yeah. who leads the line for United this season. He doesn't exactly scream uh, high press to, to us at the high press. Uh, Kieran, obviously uh, a busy summer for United, mostly getting players out the door, um, not least the Ox of Edison Cavani, Mata, Pogba, Lingard, uh, Matic, Henderson on loan, Pereira leaving to Fulham. A lot of players out the door, a lot of dead wood gone, you could probably say, without wanting to offend too many individuals who won't be listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Christian Eriksen I think will be a bit of a steal this summer on, on a free mm. transfer uh, Martinez and, and Malaysia coming from, from, from Holland which of course Ten Hag has that link there um, I, I, I want to talk about the Glazers and almost ask you an exam style question really in, in the sense of in two minutes less can you talk to us about the Glazers and for those that don't really <laughs> understand the hatred as towards why 
people hate the Glazers. Can you tell us why people don't like them and, and what the, the death is on the club at the moment, why they're, they're the hated figures that they are? Well, when the Glazers acquired Manchester United, they did it via a vehicle which is known as a leverage buyout. So they effectively bought the club, but instead of paying cash for it, they, they managed to arrange a mortgage which was secured on the club's assets. So the club ended up borrowing 700, you know, the thick end of 600 million of the 700 million pound deal. And because nobody really understood uh, the acquisition of a football team through borrowings, um, they, they've been paying high rates of interest. So Manchester United, since, uh, since the acquisition by the Glazers, have spent 857 million pounds in interest on a loan which has gone down by four million pounds. Now, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, and Ke- Kevin always jokes about his finances. But even, <laughs> even, even, even Kevin's eyebrows are going. That, 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 that doesn't sound too good to me. Um, you know, you, you think about that. They, they could have bought ten more Harry Maguires and a Donny Van der Beek. <laughs> they've, they've lost out. They've lost out. Um, so. so uh, when did I mean, the Glazers buy the club? Sorry, Kim. What, what year is it they bought the club now? They, they, they bought the club in 2005. Right. They listed the club uh, on the New York Stock Exchange on the 10th of August 2012. Um, and its shares are currently 22% below where they were 10 years ago when they first went to market, which, which, is, right. which is an indictment. It doesn't matter what we think as footballers or football fans. It, that's a huge indictment by the market. You know, people who don't give a damn about Manchester United apart from a money-making vehicle. And there's lots of people saying, well, you know, the Glazers have done really well out of Manchester United. Yes, the Glazers have, but yeah. the other shareholders haven't. Um, they, they, are, they have fallen behind in terms of Old Trafford. If, if you go to Old Trafford, you talk to journalists, um, mm. you know, you've, you've, got, uh, you've, you've got leaky roofs, you, you, you go to... Uh, you, you go to the uh, you go to the toilets, and it's it's like going into a time machine and heading back to the 1970s in terms of the quality of the the the, uh, uh, the catering and so on. It's been taken so, off. It's been taken off UEFA's list as well as of uh, final venues, isn't it, Kieran? Mm, yeah, because because the the facilities simply aren't there, yeah. um, and that that does not reflect well. Um, looking at it from from my angle, as uh, from a from a business angle. Um, they they lost their chief executive, but that was messy. You know, first of all, you know, he, he, he was uh, he says I, I was never in favour of the Super League. Yes, he was. Yeah, let, let's, mm. let's let's not let's not let's put that one to bed. The person they brought in, I've I've got big question marks over him, which which I can't say on the podcast. Um, the, the the culture of the club. Lots of other senior people have left. You look at the comments which came from Henderson. When he went out on loan, and mm, he yeah, absolutely yeah. slated the club. Yeah. Now you yeah. don't tend to. That doesn't tend to be the case. You look at the comments which came from Jesse Lingard. Manchester United is rotten, mm. and that's the problem. Yeah. You know, you know, and I, I, I played for Trafford Cricket Club for thirty years, so yeah, you know, I, I shared a dressing room with United and City fans, um, and that's what they say. It's. Yeah, the, the, the Glazers have actually spent money on the squad. Manchester United potentially might even have the highest wage bill in the Premier League last season, despite coming six, because they were paying. Uh, you know, uh, De Gea was on a new contract. You've got uh, Ronaldo on a new contract. Sancho came in on big money, as did Varane. So, so they ha- they have spent the money. They've they've not spent it wisely, um, and uh, that they they are bouncing from short term solution to short term solution because um, where I think both Liverpool and Manchester City have got it right, 
they got it right in terms of the football side of the business and the business side of the football. Manchester yeah, and, United haven't. And, and the Glazers, Kieran, how, how much do they take out annually, dividends? Well, they, 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 Manchester United pay twenty-two million pounds a year in dividends, which, which isn't a, you know, it isn't a huge amount of money, it, but it's, it, it's a stick with which people like me can beat them. Mm. Um, of that twenty-two million, probably eighteen goes to the Glazers. The rest goes to other shareholders. But they've also sold shares. Uh, they sold shares at uh, when they when they spiked last year, and they made over one hundred and fifty million pounds. The the share price since then has taken a real dive because. The markets look at Manchester United going forwards and they realise a huge amount of money has to be spent uh, on the stadium, on other facilities and, and what's happening on the pitch as well. And, and that money is going to come out of you know, either borrowings or, or shareholders. So very quickly, Kim, because I'm conscious to speak about United for a while. Who does the book stop with in terms of, you mentioned that phrase there, rotten to, to the core, essentially. There's obviously a group of people that are responsible for, for, for that, but... Who's mainly responsible for that? Is it does it is it simply the guys, isn't it, filtering down, or is it people below them that are causing this negative reputation of such, you know, a, a fantastic historic football club? Well, it, it doesn't matter what doesn't matter what you're doing in life or where you are in life. Life is life is a function of opportunities and and decision making. The Glazers were given an opportunity to to secure Manchester United in the post Sir Alex Ferguson era. Um, they, they they took a cheap option in in Moyes. Um, they've they've not that they've not put the right people in at the right position. So ultimately, I think it's Joel Glazer uh, who, who who I think bears responsibility. You you can you, you people can sneer at uh, Edward Wood. Edward Wood was a nice guy. He just wasn't a football mm. person. They've replaced him with another non football person. Well, that sounds all you need to say. We'll we'll move on to uh, another club who uh, these days have got vast amounts of money, and of course that is uh, Newcastle United, an eleventh place finish uh, last season after it all seemed to be doom and gloom under Steve Bruce, who now manages my fantastic football club. Uh, and uh, Newcastle United are a different proposition this season. Uh, made some smart signings, I think. They finally got the hands on Sven Botman of, of Lil Matt Target joining from from Aston Villa, uh, and Nick Pope of Burnley, who's been one of the league standout goalkeepers in the last uh, few seasons. Um, Kevin, a, a lot of talk about where Newcastle can potentially finish this season. Uh, are you of the opinion it's going to take them a few seasons to get to where they want to be? Or do you think with the acquisitions that they've made this summer, that they can potentially make a, a stab at you know the, the type of sort of Europa League or Conference League places sooner rather than later? I, I, I think they've been surprisingly sensible and practical I do. acquisitions I do. this summer, actually. Yeah. I, I, I think we all thought that maybe... Newcastle would go on a Saudi-inspired spending spree and be looking all over the world. But like Man City Eddie, 2010 vibe. Yeah, yeah. Really. But Eddie Howe's looked to bringing players with with Premier League experience, not arguably brilliant players, but effective week in week out players that will always give you seven, eight out of ten. And an improvement on what they've got now. I, 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 I absolutely think so. I, I still find it hard to believe. I'm not a fan of Eddie Howe. For various reasons, I, I still find it hard to believe that he will be the manager in two or three years' time. But I think mm. I'm actually quite impressed by their slow, steady approach this season. I, d- I don't know if that's driven by Eddie Howe, whether it's driven by clever PR people who say it won't be a good look if we just start splashing money about on players that won't fit. But whatever the reason is, I think they've done good business, and I think they're a a, a, a 20% better squad than the one that eventually kept them up 
quite easily. Uh, and I think if they were to add someone like Madison or, or a similar sort of creative player, I, I think they, I think they could well be looking easily top ten. Uh, but certainly, I think that would be a stepping stone to to Europa League, challenging the next couple of years. I mean, I think as a Newcastle fan, I, I would be almost slightly disappointed with the fact they haven't gone gung ho cavalier. But if you were promising me a five year gentle process, process into the you know the top six, I would happily take that, considering where they have been, and considering you know, we all have our issues with Steve Bruce, Cal. Uh, as you know, still the Steve Bruce song is still one of my favourite Palace songs, which ends with the, the C word uh, repeated three times to the tune of Nelly the Elephant. Um, uh, 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 which is partly, which is partly due to the fact we were actually playing really good football when he upped and left us for the money. Um, but I, I, I think Steve Bruce must look at what happened at Newcastle and think if if I had if I had had that opportunity because Eddie Howe's brought in exactly the sort of players that Steve Bruce would have brought in if he'd had the money to do so. I think mm. I mean they're, they're not glamorous signings but they're sensible signings. But I'm and I've I've been impressed with Newcastle. I really I really have. Mm. Uh, Rob uh, talking talking Newcastle. Um, uh, <laughs> It's one of those seasons for Newcastle. Where is it? Is it going to be a transitional yeah. season for them or not? Because obviously Eddie Howe had half a season with them, and the improvement yeah. was obviously very clear to, to see. He definitely got them out of trouble and, and playing some good football along the way. Um, you can't expect Newcastle to be in trouble this season, can you? No, uh, no, no. They, they won't be in trouble. And uh, just a, a word on Steve Bruce. Um, you if know, we, we didn't go, we didn't go that far at Villa uh, for those profane songs. We just threw a cabbage at his head, um, <laughs> which was uh, <laughs> something you, you don't see every day. So that's always good. Um, you know, a bit original, yeah. Um, but it does make, but no, to interject, I, I it does think, make me uh, laugh that we called Steve Bruce Mr. Potato Head every time we visited the Hawthorns prior to 2022, <laughs> and now he's our manager. It's a very strange world that we're living in. But go on, yeah, I'm sorry to interject. Yeah. Well, he, well, he was uh, he was cabbage head for a, for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if you want to put it plainly, and and obviously nothing ever goes this simple, but if you look at the two now big teams that were backed by the Saudi money or Middle Eastern money, uh, Man City and PSG, they both had these uh, two, three, four seasons where they were trying they didn't spend the money so wisely and, and then eventually they, they started climbing at the table. Um, I think, yeah, we, we might see that sort of um, season with Newcastle, although they are signing more conservative players, like we mentioned, not, you know, high high ticket guys that are not going to pay off. You know, like Rubinho, for instance, at, at Man City. Um, but yeah like you say I can't see how being there for long particularly as well um, I think the one of the big signings they made as well um, that is overlooked is Nick Pope as well he's for, for me yeah. as good as a 20 goal yeah. yeah and he's, he's yeah. as good as a 20 goal striker for me um, if you think almost well pardon the pun single handedly or double handedly he nearly kept Burnley up on, on his own um, he's yeah, that is going to that's big for for Newcastle, and, and 
whatever happens with them the next few seasons, Pope's going to be there, definitely. He's, he'll be number one for a while. Um, but I've, I've got them down as finishing ninth, I think, they're, but they're on the way up. I think they'll finish higher than that the season after again. But um, yeah, give them, give them a few seasons as well. They'll start to go mad. Kieran, um, to be honest, there's lots we could talk to you about with, with Newcastle United, to be honest with you, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep it as brief as we can. And obviously, Mike Ashley uh, finally departed the club to many uh, Newcastle fans' uh, wishes after such what seemed like forever him being in, 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 uh, in charge of the football club. Uh, obviously, their new owners now come under a lot of criticism um, for, for sort of their uh, political roles, you could maybe suggest. Um, just how much money have Newcastle got and and can you understand the questions that are being asked of them from a moral and an ethical point of view? I, th- I think you can look at practically every club in the Premier League from a moral and ethical point of view. Mm. You've, you've, only, you've only got to go and lift the carpet. You know, my, my clubs are owned by a professional gambler. You've got, mm. uh, you've, you've got Manchester United who are registered in the Cayman Islands. You've got Manchester City with their links to the Middle East. You've got other, we've got Chinese owners and yeah, it's, it's kicking off in certain places in the world at present. Um, so uh, the, the, the way that we try to, we, we use uh, social and economic concerns as, as, as a means to batter a club that we, we don't like or we choose not to like. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a trading partner of the UK. It's the PIF have just taken over Aston Martin. I, I don't see people every time an Aston Martin goes park, yeah. goes down the end of my road. So, you know, I, I don't go and scream abuse at the owners of that saying, hey, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Kieran's Ke- 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 road gets a lot of Aston Martins. And <laughs> Kieran's road, a lot of Aston Martins. Gonna... Say, on, on the way you to the lake with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get to the quinoa shop before it closes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so it's... Uh, we look at the 2005 Ford Focus around my part, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and the legacy of Mike Ashley is that he actually... New, Newcastle were the perfect club to take over because they had so much... Uh, headroom when it came to financial fair play. So mm. the new owners have come in. Um, I, I've had I, my inbox on Twitter is 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 up to the gills with questions from Newcastle fans. Why why can't we spend more money? And I keep saying to them, you can spend more money, but you've got Dan Ashworth. Dan Ashworth has a plan. Mm. And that plan does not involve spaffing. Uh, and and I, I gave I gave Kevin the, the figures. I think it was on on uh, the show we put out on Monday. Uh, it, it, uh, Newcastle could have spent five hundred and sixty seven million pounds uh, if if they were in the if if they spent the, at the same level as Chelsea did in the first season under Abramovich. Um, and, and also Newcastle could probably do that and still lie within financial fair play. But you look at the amount of dross that Chelsea signed in those first two or three seasons, mm. and Abramovich was just prepared to write it off. Mm. The, these owners are fully aware that if you spend the money and you get it wrong, you become Everton, and 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 that yeah. and you know that that's Ashworth won't have any of that. Uh, I, I think he's their best signing. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it, I agree. Uh, and uh, we we will see evolution rather than revolution, and and football fans don't like that because mm. you know, they they want instant gratification. Um, so so that's that's where we are in respect of Newcastle. All right, let's now move on to uh, for me the most fascinating and exciting uh, addition to the Premier League in the last few years, and it's the long-awaited return of uh, of Nottingham Forest to England's top 
tier, uh, arriving at the Premier League through the playoffs, of course. Uh, a lot of transition in their squad this season. It seems to be the case a lot of clubs this season, actually. Um, a lot of what you would define as probably championship players uh, have moved on and they've uh, brought in a lot of numbers this season. Um, it potentially does scream maybe a little bit Fulham-esque in terms of what they're doing and how much they're recruiting. Um, but I've, I've seen an article today, I think, from The Athletic saying that it's definitely not Fulham-esque, but... They get paid to their job. I just paid to, well, not paid to this podcast. I'll just give an opinion. Um, so we'll move on to you, Kevin. To, to, well, I, we'll have words about that. Are you later, not getting paid for this? I'm not getting paid. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, Nottingham Forest, uh, Kevin. No. Um, I mentioned it's a team that, that excites me. I think they've brought in some decent players. Um, I've got my doubts about Lingard, if I'm honest. Uh, do you think they'll survive with the, the mass additions that they've brought into the club? Well, you, uh, you used exactly the same word that I was going to use, which is fascinating. I think for me, they, they are easily the most interesting of the three promoted clubs. I think they've got a manager who would have ended up in the Premier League sooner rather than later anyway. Mm. Uh, and you've mentioned the two big talking points. I think the, the Lingard thing, is, is a, it's been a ludicrous. The, the, the out, cries of outrage from, from non-Forest fans saying, why is Lingard going to Forest? Where's his ambition? Well, the, the fact is, he's gone to Forest on a free transfer. He's gone on a, a, <laughs> a wage, a wa- you know, whatever it's rumoured to be, it's, it's definitely six figures. And the reason he's gone there is because West Ham were the only other club interested in him. And they would, I imagine, would have offered 50, 60 grand a week at most. I mean, he was linked with Palace, which was never going to happen because A, he scored the winning goal against us in the FA Cup final. B, he's too old for us. Two seasons ago, he would have been too young for us. Now he's too old for us. He, they've got him on a free transfer. It's he's a he's a good player. I don't think he's an out and out striker. I don't think he's an out and out creative midfield player. I don't think he's he's going to be the one that that keeps them up. I think it's ludicrous that there's been so much fuss about that one transfer. Mm-hmm. And also, you took the 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 season Palace struggled the most was the season. I think it's the second season out when we bought most players in. Bringing that number of players in, I think, is a really difficult balancing act. I mean, mm. for for a start off, it alienates those players that got you that got you promoted. You're, you're, you're trying to build a, an almost completely new team in six weeks, which I think is very difficult. I think the ideal situation is, is to bring in three or four quality, experienced players who have been there, done that, will get you the goals and try and impose them on a, a, what is clearly a decent squad. So, I, 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 There's not a lot of Premier League experience in, in the players they've brought in. It's, it's not. It's, 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 no, Lingard, it's, it's hard. It's, 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 I'm interested in what you say about that Athletic article because it is hard not to make comparisons to that Fulham. Was it there was a time before the last time they got promoted when they spent... Mm. Mm. I mean, they bought in 13 players, I think. I mean, the only difference is the timing. Yeah. I think Fulham bought most of them in sort of two weeks before the season started. And yeah. Forrester bought a lot of them in early. But you, you don't look at any of them individually, including Lingard, and say, yeah, that's a player that will keep you up. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, I've got no doubt they've bought in some good young players. Yeah, they've got. They've bought in some potential. They've bought in some... Like Lewis O'Brien players. from Huddersfield is a cracking yeah, yeah. player in the middle. But, but, yeah, but he's a cracking player from a team that didn't, didn't get promoted. It's, it's yeah. you know, and again, there's that terrible balancing act because we're always saying, let's give young, bright British players a chance. Let's give players a chance in the championship. Let's give managers a chance in the championship. And then when your team brings them in, you go, hang on a second, why aren't we buying Premier League players? So mm-hmm. there is always, there's always that risk. But I, I, 
I think in terms of the football they play, I think they've got... I, I, I can see them staying up, to be honest. I can't... I genuinely can't say that about Fulham or Bournemouth, as we discussed earlier in the pod. I know a lot of pundits have got them down for, for finishing bottom, let alone relegate. I, I think they've got... A, mm. The home form is crucial, as it is for all, all promoted teams. But I think I think they could do a Sheffield United. I really I, mm. I really think they can surprise a couple of a couple of teams. And he's a really good potential... Well, he's already a really good coach. But I think potentially, he's, as I say, he's somebody who would have been in the Premier League within the next five years anyway... And I'm going to be really interested to, to see to see what he does before us. Rob Forrester in the relegation places uh, a few games into the season where Chris Hewson was replaced by uh, Steve Cooper, um, who obviously took them up in a fantastic turnaround that season. Uh, one of the players that, that contributed towards that was was Brennan Johnson, who had uh, 28 goal um, contributions in, in Forrest's season in the Championship. Um is he going to be able to adapt to the Premier League? There's a lot of talk about, you know, if Forrest didn't go up, that he would probably get a Premier League move. How important will he be as a, as a Forrest boy in, uh, in trying to keep them in the Premier League? I mean, I, for one, for sure, I hope, you know, that he, he does well because I'm I'm almost fed up of seeing his dad in the crowd every time Brennan Johnson <laughs> does something well. Scott automatically pants yeah. with his dad every time, which is yeah. quite frustrating. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think Brennan Johnson will do will do well in in the Premier League, and and it's it's good that they've kept him because he's one of their their core that got them up, and and obviously he's been through the academy, um, so he's one of their original core. If if they try and rely on those players a little bit more, like we said, you know, possibly just buy three or four quality players rather than the whole squad, so. Um, but it, it, it's interesting to me that um, they, you know, any other team was to have, was it 16 players they've bought now? If any other team's done that, it's a Fulham. But because people mm. like the like the idea of Forest, it's all oh, this is quite new and this is interesting to it's see. True. No, true. no, it, it, it's still a Fulham. It's just because you like Forest. <laughs> um, that's if you want to say it is doing a Fulham. Um, but I... I agree. I think they're going to have Brentford season um, from from last season. I've got them down as as fifteenth. For for me, even though they had to come up through the playoffs, I think they've got a higher arc than Fulham and, and Bournemouth. I think they've got more potential in the long run than mm. than those two clubs because we we Fulham and Bournemouth have been in before and back down again. We we know we know what they are. We know what they're going to do pretty much. Forest of the unknown. Um, and yeah, it's it, that's going to be quite a an away day, isn't it, for any of the Premier League teams yeah. to to go to the the city ground and and what an atmosphere it, it will be there as well for the for the Premier League. Um, they Keenan Davis did very well uh, to to fire them towards promotion, but now they've gone for uh, Awani, um, the the Nigerian striker from Union Berlin. He's your classic unproven striker from another league. It's going to be a 50-50 with him. He could do really well. He could score three. Um, and uh, yeah, if they want to rely on him leading the line, like I said, that's that's a gamble. Um, I, I think he only got something like 13 anyway in, in the Bundesliga last season. Um, but uh, near Kite as well, their defender looks decent in pre-season. And, and we mentioned Dean Henderson. Um, that's, I think that's quite big. 
yeah, big for them. And, and I could see if if he does have a good season, if they're still, I could see him moving there. Um, but yeah, I think they're very interesting is the cliche we've got with Forrest at the moment. But yeah, I think uh, 15th and then I think they'll do better the season after that as well. Yeah. But it's, um, it's yeah, it's, it's gelling these players in. Coming from Union Berlin, Union Berlin, he won't be intimidated by the atmosphere because if if anybody's that's if, true yeah. if, if anybody's yeah. never been to a game in Europe make your first one or in Berlin it's the most fantastic <laughs> yeah. place to play uh, it's brilliant the, the ground's in the middle of a forest it's 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 just a superb place to go in Berlin German football's a brilliant yeah. experience anyway but that's a brilliant ground to go to and I, I, I think I'm sorry I think he is one of those players who could who could be no goals moved out at Christmas or, or 15, 20 goals uh, so I think there's goals in them I think that's one of the reasons I think they've got a much better mm. chance to stay up than the other two teams I think there are goals in them I think defensively they might struggle a little bit but I, again he's a, I think I think they're really going to be interesting to watch but I mean Kieran how are they able to afford these I mean I know they can afford Lingard's wages because there's no transfer fee presumably but I mean they've brought a lot of players in that you guess are going to be on higher wages than the ones they've already got that that's always the case. If you take a look at Forest's wage bill, it's it, last season it was thirty-seven million. Now, but they could they could double that easily with the additional money that they get from the Premier League and 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 go from being the club that they have been. Yeah, uh, Forest have lost a quarter of a billion pounds over the last decade. Wow! And and they've not really troubled the scorers very much in yeah. terms of being yeah. competitive for for trying to get promoted. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't see a problem because for you know the the, ben, the benefit of of Lingard is that you're not paying a transfer fee, that you're not got an amortisation cost there, so that can go all on wages. Uh, so so they've got they've got plenty of leeway uh, in, in terms of ability to spend. It's 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 getting the right players and and also getting players to agree to uh, uh, you know a wage cut should they go down after a, that first season is going is going to be a, a further challenge. Well, move on to a team that I think, Robin, in our time of doing the podcast, I predict them to go down every time. They haven't quite gone down. Um, and yeah. I still think they're going to go down this season. I'm going to keep calling it until it happens. Uh, and that is our team on the south coast in, in Southampton. Uh, 15th place to finish last season. Kevin, uh, can you join me in your prediction for Southampton to go down? Or do you think they'll have enough to survive? You know, I, I, I really don't want to like Southampton, but it's not, not liking Magnolia. As a colour in your walls, you know what I mean. It's like, there's just they're, they're the one team every year you count the number of teams in the Premier League. It's always it's like that scene in uh, Sound of Music when she can't remember the last kid's name, and it's always like that in the Premier League. I've got nineteen of them. Who's the other one? Oh yeah, Southampton. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, everybody in football, Kieran will confirm this. Everybody in football talks about their infrastructure as being really really sound like from from the from the academy upwards that they're a clever team but they they always look like they should be pushing on every year rather than mm. falling back every year um, Hassan Hootal I mean he's, he's a strange he hasn't got a plan B for me he, well he hasn't I mean that, 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 mm. Southampton fans don't like him the, the, the Southampton fans I know they don't like, you know every now and again they'll get a, a, a really good and unexpected result but for the most part, they're too easy to beat, especially by the big mm. teams. And they normally have a battering at least twice a yeah, season, don't well, they? they a proper they, battering. They still defend so far up the pitch as well. So anyone with any pace, 
it's very easy to get behind them. It, it's uh, it, it's very difficult not to see them being in and about the bottom six again, but also quite difficult to see them getting relegated. To be to be perfectly honest, they they always seem to unearth the odd gem. I, I just they've got for me they've got the most. Despite what I said about being blasé about Southampton, they got the player I hate most: that little rat Ward Prowse, who just how he stays on the pitch <laughs> game after game. Why is he a rat? Why is he a rat? He's, a, he's a, just a snidey little elbowing, back heeling. He, he clatters mm. into Zahar. Will falls for it every single time we play them. Will either gets yellow carded or red carded or injured when he plays against Southampton. He's one of those players who's not quite as good as he thinks he is, but thinks he's the best player in the in the in the team. He's you know, but I mean he's, he's a brilliant there's there's no doubt about it. he's the best striker of a dead ball in the Premier League, but it, it needs a lot more than that to to get anything. And and I mean St Mary's very rarely seems to be full either as well. It doesn't seem to me that Southampton fans are are really buying into what's happened. There seems to be a club that's treading water at the yeah. moment, to be honest, and I know obviously for, for Kieran, they are the the big South Coast rivals. And now you're throwing Bournemouth into that heady mix. Now it's going <laughs> to be kicking. It's going to be kicking off all along the South Coast. You wouldn't be wanting to arrive on a train back in Brighton <laughs> ten o'clock on a Saturday night when Bournemouth, Southampton, and Brighton all get back into town. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> um, we'll bring up well, Kieran we'll get to you in just a second but I want to bring you in quickly uh, I, I'm forever going on social media and looking at this this trademark Southampton team of, of 2013 you know with with sort of Van Dijk and Fonte as, as they call mm. Wanyama and Schneiderlin your Tadic your Graziano Pella they seem to have fell mm. so far from what was quite an enjoyable team to watch and it's now full up of, of people that are sort of I, I feel like championship players, really. Like I know some Joe Rebo from Rangers. I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about him, but there, there's probably a reason why he was playing at Rangers. With all due respect, they've signed Gavin Bazuni from Portsmouth, who it was good in League One last season. I, I'm, I'm struggling to get it a little bit with Southampton, and, and, and Kevin used the correct word there. I don't see the progress that they've been making over the last few years. Mm. Is it going to is it going to catch them this season? If I can go back to what you were just saying there with. With, I think what you're saying they're missing the, the profile of players that they had then if if I ask you can you name me the two strikers that Salampton have got on the books can you do it anybody uh, Chai Adams and yeah. would have been Broyer but he went back to Chelsea Armstrong flops no. didn't he um, I, well you did okay well that sort of <laughs> messed me thing up but but it took you a while didn't it it did um, take me a while no yeah, so so for me, um, God, it seems like I'd say this for everyone. For me, they ain't got enough to stay up. Um, but I've I've got them. Yeah, as as eighteenth. Uh, I think this this poor form they ended the season since March. I think that that will continue. They've like we said that they're not particularly doing anything for me. They're treading water. They don't seem like they are going to challenge for top half. Um, yeah, probably lower bottom and then relegation. Possibly, um, yeah. But Bazoon is a decent keeper. He's he was on loan from from Portsmouth from City, and they've got him from there. But um, the rest of the the signings, they're sort of younger players. They're not first team Premier League for me. Uh, 
Yeah, like we said, that they're always on the end of a battering. I mean, Villa were on a run of poor form and then we beat them 4-0 at home and they were absolutely no trouble. And it could have been 7-0, really, to be honest. Um, I think that they overachieved last last season as well. Um, they had a decent decent spell, which meant that they weren't in trouble at the end of the season because that was dire. Um, but yeah, 18th. Um, I know I've said 18th. I like you, Kevin, I can't really see him going down as well, but I don't know why they wouldn't. But I just I, I just can't see him going down. I reckon they'll just have a miserable season. Kieran, going to bring you in about your, your noisy neighbours, uh, <laughs> Southampton. Um, <laughs> Kevin mentioned there that they're extremely well-run club. Um, with Southampton, do you get the impression that that fans are maybe growing a little bit tired now of Hassan whether it's time for a change, maybe? Um, I, I think, you know, I've got, I've got friends who've supported clubs like Stoke and, and, and Southampton, and they say, eventually, you grow a bit bored of the Premier League because what, what are your objectives at the start of the season? I can vote I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then it's a case of be careful what you wish for because... Mm. You, know, you you end up with five or six seasons in in the championship. Uh, so I, th- I think Southampton are now at that awkward point. You know, if 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 they if they change the manager for the sake of changing the manager, then you've got to recruit the right players. I mean, it'll be daft to get rid of him, uh, given that we're you know a fair way through the window. They've already spent some money. Um, th- there's issues in terms of their ownership. You know, so if they've got a new Serbian owner. What, what's what's going on there? Um, what are their objectives? They've they've been very quiet. Uh, you know, quite a few owners come in and have been quite uh, quite vocal. So difficult to say. But we, we, at Brighton, we've, it's it's only the media that seem to think that we've got any form of interest or rivalry <laughs> with them because we, we we couldn't give a hoot. They they hate Portsmouth and Portsmouth hate them. Yeah, that's yeah. The way Who are be. your rivals out of interest? What? Who, who are hey? your rivals? <laughs> Is it is it is it Bournemouth? Is it Bournemouth? Oh, it's always Bournemouth. I don't know who's Boyce and Starby. I mean, oh, of course it's Pally. Of course it is. Oh, fucking hell! But <laughs> <laughs> over there, because Boyce just appears to be this club for me in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, who's who? Who do they rival? It, it, it's very bad on my heart. I'm like, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, there, so, so in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there's a mate of mine who always said about Palace. Middle of the sea. Uh, until until previous seasons, there, there's only so many times you can swirl around the plug hole before you actually go down the sink. <laughs> like you get you get into, you get into the habit of fighting relegation, and and if 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 that that becomes then your your parameter for the season, that becomes your ambition is to stay up. Mm. And and you 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 know as Oscar Wilde says, you've got to be looking. You maybe in the gutter, but you've got to be looking at the stars. You've got to set your ambitions a bit mm. uh, a bit higher. And, and for me, Southampton are in danger of becoming one of those clubs whose whose ambition year on year dwindles to simply staying in the Premier League. And you know that they were a club five years ago that you thought would be maybe doing what Newcastle could be doing. You know, certainly looked like a progressive club that were gradually moving up the table. Tended to play entertaining football, and now most of that seems to have gone. It, it does scream a little bit, and, and I'm not just saying this. We mentioned that it does scream a little bit Brighton for me, in the sense that when Brighton um, uh, sort of 
um, party company with with, with Chris Hewton. Uh, I feel like Southampton are edging down that route in the sense that they've got a, an established manager who's not doing terribly for them, but supporters all get frustrated and then there's a the risk factor about whether to move him on and to go for a, a different type of style. Will it pay off? Obviously, it paid off for, for, for Brighton. I think they were very much approaching a, a a T junction, if you like, Brighton and uh, sorry, Southampton, and, and whether they'll get that right is is obviously remain to be seen. Uh, we'll move on to to Tottenham, and for me, uh, this season Tottenham Hotspur are a Champions League bound club. Uh, some very impressive business this summer: Perisic, uh, Basuma, Richarlison, uh, Clement Longley from from Barcelona coming in. Jed Spence uh, was excellent in the Championship last season, and of course Fraser Forster from Southampton, as we just discussed. Um, <laughs> Tottenham, Kevin, I, the, the big debate for me with Tottenham is how long will Conte be there for? Because I think as soon as he gets upset at something, he will walk out the door. He's shown it before. He'll have no qualms about doing it again. If, if given you this context here, if Conte stays for the season, where did Tottenham finish? I, I, th- I, think, I think third. I, I think if there's any team that could yep. possibly even split City and Liverpool... It's Tottenham. Tottenham. I agree. I, I, th- I think Kieran will, will agree with this as well. Conte has done something that most managers haven't been able to do in that Daniel Levy's uh, willingness to spend money has never matched the manager's ambition to spend money, basically. And I think Conte has mm. made it plain to Levy that if these players weren't brought in, and they're really good. I mean, Richarlison's a proper Tottenham player for me. And I know Tottenham fans are. I think they've. I think they've added quality everywhere, to be honest. And I think Conte's done a brilliant job already by getting Daniel Levy to agree to that because Kieran will explain that you know Daniel Levy's managing structure is 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 a different one to most clubs. They tend to offer money and bonuses, I believe, rather than wages. But I think he's built a squad there that I think is is genuinely capable of. Of of challenging those, two. I can't see them winning the league, but no. I I I think I could I could I could see them possibly. No, I, th- I think third. I think I think third, but a good third as well. But and I think I think Conte, having got his own way already, Conte will have no one else to blame now. I mean, Conte's got the players he wanted. If if he does throw his toys out of the brown now, I think it will damage his, his reputation. But I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's I think he's a really good manager. I think he's the right one for Tottenham. I, I think Tottenham are going to be a really exciting team to watch. Bear in mind already that you're adding these players to Son and Kane, who, mm. who you know, I mean, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is the one player I would love at Paris, but not far behind that is Son and and Kane. I think, I think even now Son is still slightly. You know, people look at the Liverpool strikers; they look at Harry Kane. I, I think Son's still slightly underrated. I think he's a magnificent mm. player, and I think. I think they bought players in that are only going to get the best out of out of out of those two players that they've already got there. Rob, do you echo those thoughts from from Kevin? Yeah, I've uh, I got them down as third as well. Um, I think they're yeah very very strong squad, uh, but with with Conte the the man he is, I think um, it's going to be a big season. I think it's going to be. At least a trophy or bust, I think for for Conte. I, I can see, like you said, he's got no one to blame now. I think if he doesn't, if he doesn't get anything, I think he will say, yeah, it's you know, you, no nobody can can win it. And I think that is the case with with Tottenham. It's such a poison chalice because they do have these ambitions, uh, but they 
didn't used to have the squad and they didn't used to have the the backing and I think they've got that now uh yeah I think they will get third and I, I'm envisaging them getting to both domestic cup finals and losing both as well so I think that's that's kind of Tottenham for me this this the Tottenham season. Tottenham <laughs> yeah, Spursy. Spursy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bottling it again. I think they've they've got that. They've got enough to get to a final, but not to win it. I think in in that side. But uh, yeah, some of the signings. Yeah, Richarlison, uh, Perisic, Basuma as well. Um, I've seen a lot of people say uh, Perisic is is too slow to play as a wing back. Um, my advice would be to stop playing FIFA. For, for that because <laughs> I don't think you, you really understand what's going on there um, and and of course you know I, I believe Conte would have managed Perisic as well um, uh, in, in Italy so he, he knows he knows how to how to use him uh, but yeah I'm I'm really excited for Tottenham good uh, really really nice side that they're putting together but yeah I think it is they've got to get a trophy or it's 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 bust for them um, because this is this is the, the best chance they will have to do anything with this squad and Conte. And I think if Conte does go, who are they going to get in? You know, is it Pochettino again? Really? Who who would who would replace? Callum Kirby should have been like out Conte? of work for a while, wasn't <laughs> I was there, okay. Oh well we'll see you next season then, won't we? <laughs> I hope um, you got Steve we... Bruce on a long-term contract. <laughs> no, we... <laughs> no, but nobody's got him on a long-term contract. <laughs> um, Kieran, I'm going to come to you now. And, and Tottenham seems to get in a lot of things right behind the scenes. This, this beautiful new stadium they've got, um, obviously spending heavy in, in the transfer market as well. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that they received some additional investment from 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 somewhere. Can you talk to us about that and how that has impacted their their transfer plans? Is is that as a result? They've been able to make these transfers or does that mean they can do even more than what they're currently doing? Well, the money's come in from Enoch, which is Joe Lewis's vehicle. Uh, and Joe Lewis has been very quiet uh, living in the Bahamas. Uh, you can understand why he, he sort of you know, keeps an eye on things. But as, as, as a case study of how to get it right, I think Spurs are a fantastic example uh, in, in the sense that they had a plan, they stuck to it. Um, they, they they were punching above their weight for many years uh, before they moved to the new stadium, but the uh, the, the model that they have for the um, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and I've, even I've given up calling it White Hart Lane. Yeah, and, and I'm and I and I, and I, and I call Bolton Stadium the Reebok. Um, so, uh, and, and the reason why they've done that is that they will be announcing a stadium naming rights deal in all probability and that and that will be very lucrative to add to 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 all of the other things that they've got right off the pitch and getting it right off the pitch has enabled them to get it right on the pitch but daniel nevy though kieran his model was slightly different it was is that true that he he tended not to offer huge wages but in terms of bonuses and add-ons you could make a lot of money at spurs yeah yeah they, they, they got a very highly incentivized wage structure it, yeah. it I think that's something which is actually overstated, though, in terms okay. of what, uh, not overstated in terms of finances. When you're on the pitch for 90 minutes, the one thing that you're not thinking about is that, am I getting an extra bonus from doing X, Y, yeah. Z? Yeah, yeah. Because the bonuses are team bonuses rather than individual performance bonuses. I think that's really important as well. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they are highly incentivized in terms of league position and especially getting into the Champions League. To be fair, it, it, Champions League tends to be very significant to other clubs as well. I know that Manchester United players lose 25% of their wages this season. Wow. Um, the, the majority of them because of, of non-qualification in Champions League. Wow. Wow. 
Very interesting numbers. Um, our penultimate team, West Ham United, uh, a seventh place finish for for them last season. Um, seems to be struggling in the market to try and uh, get the acquisitions that they're wanting through the door. But I've brought a couple in, the, namely Gianluca Schamacca, I believe it's pronounced from Sassuolo in the Italian league. Uh, finally getting a striker into uh, to, to give them competition to Mikel Antonio. Um, Kevin, West Ham have, have had a very good few seasons under David Moyes. Um, he's a he's a solid, steady manager. I think that's probably an underestimation. I he's a very good manager, particularly for a club like West Ham United. I think it was what they needed right at the right point. Um, can can they continue with the way they're going on with such a, a short, uh, not a short, a, a, a short in numbers squad? Probably you could suggest. I don't. I, don't I, I think the reason they're struggling in the transfer market is because there's only so many players over six foot four available. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, because um, I. I I've got a lot of mate. One of my closest mates is a West Ham fan. I know a lot of West Ham fans. I I think they've probably gone as far as they can go with with this squad. Uh, I think keeping Declan Rice is a major a major triumph for them. Uh, I think they've got a couple. Uh, Mikel Antonio, I love. He's from just down the road for me. He's a really nice chap. But I don't think anybody would would have predicted five years ago that he would turn into this brilliant <laughs> not just a brilliant goal scorer as well but a brilliant all-round attacker but he's he's reaching a certain age now so I, I think they're a classic example of a, a squad that does need to change and freshen um, I, I think Moyes is a brilliant manager for them and again I don't think anybody saw that coming just in terms of his the sort of managers that West Ham tend to like the West Ham way the academy all that sort of stuff the t- style of football that they always bang on about, which is uh, unsuccessful but entertaining. I, I, I just think they're an interesting club. I, 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 I hate going. It's the worst away ground in the in the in the Premier yeah. League, without any doubt. I, I think they've gone as far as I can't see them going backwards. I think they're going to be very difficult to beat, especially at home. But I, I think they've kind of reached a high watermark with. The, the squad that he's built and it needs another squad building. But again, I think Moyes is essentially a conservative manager. I don't think he's going to be spending a lot of money on exciting young players, though. I think it's more of the same at West Ham. But again, I think West Ham finishing seventh, if I was a West Ham fan, if I've been supporting West Ham as long as I've been supporting Palace, I would bite your hand off for seventh every year mm. in the Premier League. Um the worry is if they do a chart and decide that that's not good enough and then spend money they haven't got trying to get that extra two places up the table. But no, I think I think they'll be in for a solid season, plenty of goals at, at the London Stadium. But I've, I think, I, I don't think they'll reach seventh again, but I think they'll be top 10 easily. Rob, do you echo those thoughts? Uh, yes, I do. I echo those thoughts. Uh, I've got them as tenth. I think they've they've obviously had the, the two very good seasons, but I think, uh, like you say, um, they, I think they've peaked now. Um, and it's going to depend on on the the attackers, uh, Jared Bowen, uh, a thirty two year old Antonio. Uh, mm. Not that age really has anything to to play with it, but he, he does like the odd injury. Uh, and and about the cheese. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the new lad uh, Shamaka as well. I, I saw some statistic uh, the other day. It was something like in the past was it ten years that that West Ham have bought in something like thirty or forty strikers and about 
seven seven of them have got over five goals in the Premier mm. League. You know, at, West Ham are not really famed for their number nine uh, striker. You know, it's Antonio's been there for a while and and it, he started off as a midfielder, really, and, and come through as an attacker. He was a right-back for a while, wasn't back, he? Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that you know, it says something when one of your... Is he like the record goal scorer or something? Or he, he's got some some kind of goals anyway for them. You know, he started out as a defender and they've spent how many million on a striker? And, you know, as I said, Antonio's your, your best your best attacker in the team currently. Uh, yeah, so it's going to depend on on how the new lad gets on. Um, they've also had uh, Alphonse Ariola come in on a permanent deal, which I think uh, can't be... Um, sniffed at too much as well. He, he's a he's a good um, good lad and uh, uh, Nayef Aguerd, their their new centre back. He's coming for big money, thirty million. Relatively I, unknown to Premier League fans. A couple as of months well. now, isn't he, with an injury? Yeah. I think. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you never know when, when when he comes back. He he may <laughs> may help them, but yeah, I think they 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 have peaked uh, a tenth. I go for that. Kieran, uh, Gold and Sullivan have had their critics over the time, particularly from West Ham fans, but the, the, the criticism seems to have stopped as West Ham have progressed in, in, in recent years. Is that fair? Um, it, 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 I think it tends to be par for the course that owners will be criticised if if yeah. they are perceived to be not spending money. Um, they, they've not actually spent a huge amount of money, but they have delivered uh, in terms of, of recruiting David Moyes. As Kevin said, not a glamorous manager, very effective manager, very underrated as well, technically. He's, he's, mm. he's, he's, um, Bowen has been a fantastic signing. They've, they've kept hold of Rice, as, as Kevin said. That's that's a huge plus for them. Um, you know, you, you, you've got uh, good, good players like Zuma who have settled in very easily. Uh, I, 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 think, I think they're a solid top half of the table team. And, and again, you know, I reiterate what Kevin says, where do you go from here? Uh, it's if, if you if you if you push and remember they 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 were in in a Europa League place with uh, yeah half an hour of the season to go and then we mm. decided to, to to wake up and score three goals against them mm. in the final game of the season. That, that's the only reason why Manchester United got into the uh, uh, into the Europa League and, and West Ham failed to do so. They've, they've got the new investor, Kieran, as well, haven't they? I mean, if Golden Sullivan were to cash in, I presume. West Ham would be a huge uh, buy, wouldn't they? I mean, the, the London club, City Airport just down the road, all that glamour that comes with being in the capital. Yeah, they'd be an attractive proposition, surely, wouldn't they? I mean, I mean <laughs> they were talking about selling the club for a billion three seasons ago, wouldn't they? Yes, and and, and part of the reason for that is that uh, they're being subsidised by the taxpayer. Right, with, yeah. with that stadium. So, so yeah, we're, we're gifting them a a, you know, a stadium which. Which you know cost seven or eight hundred million pounds. They're paying you know two point seven, two point eight million pounds in rent a year. So they've got that, and they've got the London factor. Um, what is interesting, I think, in terms of West Ham is that they've reduced the number of season tickets from fifty four mm. to forty five thousand. And the reason mm. for this is that they now they can now start to monetize uh, in terms of the walk up fans, the tourist yeah. fans, which they feared they wouldn't get at first. But clearly, there's enough interest. Ted Lasso factor, you know, COVID's no longer with us. Um, they, they have been successful. They've, they've got some high-profile players, and, and on the back of that, they can sell sell tickets for higher prices and bring in more money. Right, and last and certainly by least, uh, those <laughs> locked down the road 
Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, last season finishing 10th, um, I know from being from this neck of the woods that there's a few uh, displeased fans, let's say, at Wolves with not much action in the transfer market so far. Their sole addition being Nathan Collins from relegated Burnley. I know there's a lot of talk about Connor Cody being uh, not in starting 11 next season as Bruno Lager looks to go to uh, a four at the back, which is something Wolves haven't done or certainly haven't successfully done in a, an extended period of time. Kevin, Wolves came into the to the Premier League, had a very, very successful couple of seasons under Nuno. Everyone liked them. They've never been a team to score loads of goals. Quite the contrary, actually, they don't score many goals. Yeah. Um, they averaged a goal a game last season in the Premier League. They've not so much the surprise package anymore. Not many people are a feel for them anymore. Where to go from Wolves from here? Because obviously they've got the Mendes links in terms of bringing in, you know, half of Portugal, but that that has come to an end, it would appear. Where, where do Wolves go from here? Have they hit the sky? Are they are they looking down there rather than up? I I have to say they're my wild card for relegation this season. They were wow. they were shocking. Uh, the the away game we beat them two 0 We were two 0 up after twenty minutes. I think that first half was one of the worst Premier League performances I've seen from any team. That I I just think. It's that lack of goals that worries me, but also there's a certain lack of identity. The Nuno team had a had an identity. You know, you knew exactly how they were going to play, and it was difficult to play against, and it and it worked. I I just there's just something about them. They, they just they can see too many, and they they can't score, and they don't look like they're able to bring players in who can who can rectify that. So I'd I'd be slightly worried if I was a Wolves fan. I have to say. It should be stated that Jimenez is now injured for the first few weeks yeah, of the yeah. season as well, which has left them with a recognised striker with Fabio Silva also moving out on loan to uh, to Anderlecht. So that's that's a concern for Wolves going into the season. Um, Rob, bringing you in, obviously, for you know you're you're around the corner from me. You're my neck of the woods. There's a lot of probably negativity. I think it's fair to say about about Wolves next season. Um, is that understandable in your opinion? Are they on a downward trajectory now? Uh yeah, I'd say relatively from from where they were the last few seasons. Um, despite saying all that, I've got them as eleventh because I don't think they they're just going to go under the radar. Not going to do anything too bad. Nothing too well, good. Almost like Southampton brackets, aren't they? Yeah, sort of forgettable. You know, they sometimes play a game of football or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, one one player actually, I thought it might be quite interesting to bring up uh, is Adama Traore. Uh, who's back mm. on uh, from his loan in Barcelona? Mm. Uh, he was he was slated, obviously no end product, but then uh, he got a few goals and assists at Barcelona. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see: will he be reinvigorated? Will he leave? Um, what well, position well, I, is he I, saw, be I saw in? that Wolves were absolutely done in that deal because Barcelona wanted to insert an option to buy in that deal. Wolves were pushing for a, a, a sort of an obligation, really. Um, Barcelona's intention was to never buy him, hence why the buyout clause was so high. And now he's returned to Molyneux with one year left on his contract and, and his, his value decreasing ever by the second because of that. So Barcelona have, have somehow, uh, in the last couple of years, managed to pull off one logistical surprise, which has gone to their favour. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, I think we'll just, just see what he's going to do. I think in, in, a, in a very boring side, uh, Troy or Ray might. Might do something. Who knows? Uh, Colin, yeah, Collins was a, a decent pickup, but again, matching Wolves being under the radar, that went quite under the radar for me. There was a few clubs in for him, and all of a sudden, I saw he was at Wolves. 
I didn't even see that that transfer go through. Um, but uh, yeah, Fabio Silva for me is a. Uh, I know he's only seven. Well, he was only seventeen, eighteen when he joined, but um, very much the money hasn't been um, spent wisely at the moment. It seems, and now he's been loaned out, uh, and like you say, no recognised striker. <sighs> yeah, maybe maybe saying all that now maybe a little bit further down the table but yeah nothing nothing amazing Kieran I'm going to bring you in and, and talk about the, the Mendes links because they've, they've gone quiet over the last few uh, probably the last year you would probably say uh, since since Fossen have been in at Wolves they've had two seventh place finishes a 13th place finish and a 10th place finish and for Wolves uh, it's certainly in this uh, era that, that is, represents great success for them um, similar to some other talk uh, clubs that we've spoken about have they hit the ceiling there? I think for a club that's not been in the Premier League for a while those are four fantastic finishes hmm. um, and uh, listening to it to Wolves fans uh, they're, they're bored I, th- I think <laughs> it's it, that, that's, that's the issue uh, because the football's not exciting uh, and Again, it goes back to sort of you know, the the old days of of clubs such as Stoke. It, it's it's effective, but it's not if it's not if it's not getting the adrenaline running, then then I think some fans are losing a sense of purpose. It it, it could be that if they have a relegation fight next season, I'm not, I'm not convinced that they will. That actually it'll be more it'll be more interesting season from a fan's point of view mm. because <laughs> you know to to be between seventh and thirteenth for four years, that is. And the first first season was, you know, it was fantastic. We're there, yeah, they were course, playing great football under Nuno. Um, but th- th- it has sort of been on a sort of a, a gentle de- decrease slope. Uh, a bit like Kevin, we, we went to Wolves sort of two, two or three weeks before the end of the season um, and we beat them 3-0 and it could have been six or seven. They, they, I've never seen a side put up so little resistance. And I think that was the biggest cause for concern. And the number of people who were streaming out well before the end took me as a surprise because it's, it, it, it's, it, you know, Wolves isn't one of those grounds where you, you have to get out to get a train or a tube or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a nice you know, uh, center of the city ground. So uh, I think it's going to be, it will be a challenging season for them, but there's, there's certainly three worst teams in that division, in my opinion. Well, their problems are highlighted by the fact I'm just looking at their top goal scorer last season uh, was six. Mm. Um, and, and for a team that, that, that do struggle for goals, they haven't really got a, a focal point. And obviously Jimenez had that nasty injury, of course, but mm. they certainly need a little bit of, of freshness going forward. But gentlemen, that concludes our season review. Um, but before we do let you go, we're going to ask you four uh, questions. Just You can give quick fire answers for it. Uh, myself and Rob are prepared for them as well, but you can you can hit them off the bat if you if you haven't. Um, we want to ask you if you're player of the season, your young player of the season, surprise uh, player of the season, also your flop of the season. Season. Um, I'll kick proceedings off by stating I think the player of the season will be Kevin De Bruyne again. I do think that despite all of the transfers this summer, that it will be the one who's lit up the Premier League for the last few seasons will again light it up again this season. Rob, who have you gone for for your player of the season prediction? Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree. I think mean, it's De Bruyne on the, and another title winning season. Uh, Kevin, coming to you. I, I, look, De Bruyne gives you nine out of ten. Every game, every season, more or less, doesn't he? I, 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 there's there are two wild cards. I think Gabriel Jesus could possibly score 25 goals mm-hmm. for Arsenal this season. Yeah. 
I, I hope he doesn't, obviously, starting on Friday night. Yeah. Um, I, I also think Palace have got a player that, that could light up the Premier League this season, Eberichi Eze, who's had his first mm. full season for us. He's been absolutely fantastic in pre-season. He was still recovering from his terrible injury last season. Uh, and I think he's certainly going to be one to look out for in the Premier League this season. And uh, last not least, Kieran, player of the season? I'm going for Darwin Nunes. I, I, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and he's going to... Yeah, Liverpool's problem's never been scoring goals, but he, he's going to add another dimension to them. Uh, and if, if Liverpool... If, if you think that, uh, that Klopp won the Manager of the Year award last season uh, for winning two cup finals uh, without scoring a goal... Um, I, I think uh, there is this uh, this, this Liverpool bonus uh, in terms of uh, you know that they are they are a very savvy side. They're a very sexy side to watch, and, and I think he'll be. I think he'll be sort of a new. He'll be Suarez without the teeth issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, young player of the season. I've gone for uh, Gabriel Martinelli at Arsenal. Been blighted by injuries uh, in his time there, but then we saw last season the the, the real potential that he has. Um, from cutting him from that that left hand side, I do think he's going to be uh, a standout player for Arsenal this season. What it will be a young team, of course, with the likes of Saka and uh, Vieira added to that team, and of course Jesus, as you mentioned before, Kevin Rob, your young player of the season. Brennan Johnson. Um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be one of the stars in this surprising Forest team. And I think he's going to help that. He's in a team that everyone finds interesting and likes at the moment. I think, uh, yeah, he's going to have a bit of a shine on him. And um, you get to see his dad a lot more as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Kevin? Uh, I'm tempted to say Malcolm Abui, who I think is mm. going to get chances for Palace this season. And again, apparently in training, that's just been fantastic. But I'm going to go back to Arsenal. I'm going to go to Bukayo Sacco, who yeah. people forget how young he is. I think he's an, an England star in the making. I think, um, oh, bloody, I've got it written down, but it's gone dark. The, 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 uh, Smith Rowe, I think, as well, mm. is potentially another, uh, another contender for young player of the season. I think... I, I, I think we probably underestimated Arsenal a little bit when we spoke about them. Maybe because they're one of the first clubs we spoke about in the in the mm. pod. But I think they've had a brilliant window, and I got I think they've got yeah. a really exciting young squad. But I think for me, Bukayo Saka is is one that will be starting every England game for the next five years, and I, I think he's a really exciting prospect at Arsenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing him this season. And Kieran, as much as it pains me to say this, I think it's going to be Mark Gwehi. Because yeah. I, I can wow. see Harry Harry Maguire losing his Engl- his United yeah. place mm. and therefore not starting for England, um, and Gwehi is everything you're looking for in a young centre half. It's good. He'll, 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 I think he'll definitely go to the World Cup without yeah. a doubt. Oh yeah, because yeah. he he gives Southgate that option if he wants to play a, a three or a two at the back, mm. and also for a 21 year old to be captain of a Premier League team is it, it shows what a good prospect he is as well. It's very big uh, of you, Kieran. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> if only I could think of a Brighton player that I could participate with. But, yeah. well, we, 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 we just sold him to, to Chelsea it's, half an hour ago. So. <laughs> has, he, has he gone? He's gone, yeah. Oh, my God. How much? How much? Uh, it's 50 plus between 10 and 15 in add-ons. Wow. 
Uh, moving to our uh, surprise of the season, uh, and I hate to copy your answer, Kevin, but I've gone for um, Ibarichi Eze. Um, I was witness to him in the championship when West Brom was last promoted in 2019-2020, and he did light up the division. Uh, silky feet, of course, uh, rocked by that injury last season, which he started uh, to make a recovery from very, very late in the season. Um, but I'm hopeful that with the pre-season, we'll begin to see uh, the Eze of the, uh, the the championship season, which he, he wowed uh, the division. Rob, Young player of the season, uh, surprise, sorry, of the season. So I've gone, I'm, I'm going to say one name and then I'm going to say two names after that. Um, I will tell you why. Uh, Dominic Solanke, I reckon he could pop up with some goals. Hmm. Um, Is he? St- yeah, oh, yeah. Go, yeah. Go. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if he doesn't uh, cover myself, I'm actually going to go with one of the Leeds midfielders that they brought in, so either Tyler Adams or, or Aronson. I reckon they might do some good stuff in the middle there for Leeds. So uh, either of the Leeds lads or or Dobbs, thank you. Brilliant. Uh, Kevin? Uh, My surprise uh, is Benteke going to Wolves and scoring 20 goals. (laughs) That's my surprise. Uh, Wolves can't score goals and Benteke can't (laughs) score goals what are you thinking there (laughs) if if that doesn't happen if that doesn't happen then again I'm going for one of those Jean-Philippe Pachetta who uh, you can see the picture of him over my shoulders (laughs) scoring his back heel nutmeg against Brighton which was the only good thing he did that season I've never seen a player look less like a Premier League footballer than he did when he first came in but Vieira loves him and towards the end of last season he was beginning to look like a proper Premier League striker. He's really bulked up over the summer. He looks physically yeah. really strong now. So I think he's one of the reasons that we haven't gone into the market for a striker. Vieira made it quite plain at the end of last season that he thought this team had enough goals in them already. So I think I think Mateta is is a potential surprise again for me. And I'm not only going for Palace players because I haven't had time to look at the other clubs players <laughs> I do want to say talking about Palace for a second if you can get him fit Nathan Ferguson will be a, if he can get fit you know what I, I, there's that big worry with him that he's going to be like Conor Wicker I mean he started mm. the QPR friendly and came off after not very long I, I, I think mm. I suspect he's likely to go to a championship club on loan for a season because I, I really he's been out so long Conor Wickham who was potentially a really good player just couldn't come back. Every game he came back, yeah. he, he, did, he didn't last. And it's, I've, I think, I feel my heart breaks for the young fella because he's clearly a really good player and everyone at the club Very talented. rates him really highly. But I, it's going to be a two-year project to get him back ready for the Premier League, I, yeah. I, I fear. I, I, it's a shame because he would be the final youngster in the, in the puzzle for Palace in the back four because at the moment we've got a very young left-back, two centre-backs, and what looks like Nathaniel Klein starting at right-back, and if not him, Joel Ward is much older than the, the other three, but I just can't see Ferguson featuring for as much in the Premier League. I hope I'm wrong, but I can't see it. Mm. Uh, so drifted there, but Kieran, your surprise of the season? Um, I think Harvey Elliott, Harvey Elliott's going to break through Liverpool mm. this season. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought that Thiago was gave one of the best displays I've seen all year in, in the community shield. But, but the nature of Liverpool is that they, they want to 
that they want a squad approach. He's, he's a brilliant player. He was starting to look really good when he got that, that injury. Um, some of the other players are getting on a bit more. So I think he could he could certainly uh, secure a place early doors and, and uh, continue that for the majority of the season. And uh, lastly, uh, flop of the season, obviously two names. My first one being Diego Carlos, the big money centre-back uh, arriving at Aston Villa. Uh, I have doubts about <laughs> his physicality. Rob, you're looking at it with some disbelief there. there Sorry, no you've got doubts there. about his physicality. Have you actually seen a picture of him? <laughs> Do you know it? Oh, okay, well, I've, I've got more doubts. We're all allowed our opinion. Yeah. Uh, the other one is Aronson of Leeds. I've got doubts about whether he can um, live up to expectation. Rob, I know that goes completely against anything yeah. you've said in this podcast, but this is a beauty of opinions. Yeah. Uh, Rob, okay. moving on to yourself for yours. All of West Brom's tip. No, um, I think uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, yeah, I'm going to go four, two. I'm going to go, not that I rate these two players, but just the fact that they've they've got enough about them that they've been attracted that they've been bought. I'm either going to go Jesse Lingard um, or Joel Ariba. Uh, I don't rate either of them highly, to be honest. And and Ariba's yeah, got a cracking goal for Southampton in a preseason friendly. I think he ran from his own half, didn't he, and buried it in the top corner. Against who? Yeah, good point. Moving on, yeah. Kevin. Who's your flop of the season? Uh, I take no pleasure in saying this because I, I have a lot of friends who are Fulham fans, but uh, Mitrovic mm. wow, okay. is for me. Yeah. So, a lot of people um, seem to think he'll he'll do well this season. But that, that, why? He, he hasn't. No. He, he <laughs> yeah, goes against all evidence yeah, and, yeah. and logic. I, I think people think to themselves, well, Fulham are paying him a fortune. He must be good. But he's two years older than the last time he was in the Premier League and he really struggled to get goals in the Premier League last time to the extent that he barely started a game in the second half of the season. So I I just, I, I, you know, Fulham fans, of course Fulham fans love him, but, you know, there, there's still a certain section of Fulham fans who are banking on him getting 20 goals to keep them up. It's not going to happen. No. Uh, and lastly, Kieran, your flop of the season. I'll just say, Kieran, it's all gone very atmospheric. <laughs> on the South it's quite Coast good, there. isn't it? The lighting. <laughs> It's oh, lighting yeah. is such that it looks like David Bowie in your t-shirt is actually alive. If <laughs> <laughs> only. It look like, looks like you're getting the office ready for the Baroness to come in for the, after a night and the Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's most nights, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, nice. Oh, uh, nice. Gone down that route. Okay. Listen, gents, uh, before we move on, um, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you for, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we will thank you behind the scenes, of course, but I want to say publicly, uh, on behalf of myself and Bob, it's an absolute pleasure every time we have a, a chat, yeah. whether it's individually or collectively. Uh, we have so much of a laugh when you're on here. And uh, yeah, it's been great to, to catch up with you. Uh, we love talking to you guys. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Have a good season, guys. All the best. Speak soon. Thank you. More than than welcome. It's a great (laughs) pod. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the High Press Podcast. We really hope that you've enjoyed the episode today. Um, We'll be really, really grateful if you could leave a review on your preferred podcast provider, whether that be iTunes or whether that be Spotify or Google or whoever it might be, um, just so people can find our episode a little bit more easily. Yeah, and go ahead and follow us on our social medias at the High Press Pod. We're on Twitter and Instagram 
uh, where we're going to be announcing all of our guests, uh, any updates, and uh, just generally, just that's where you can find us. Right, thank you guys, and we'll see you soon.